it's the next level. Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Primers into this issue 119 of the DC Primetime Podcast from the spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast. I am Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew cast of pods, I am Rob Martin. We're doing this one a little differently this time. Which, which you can probably tell by the audio quality. That means Ben and I are live in the same room together. We're face to face for this one, which is... Uh, Always fun when we get to do that. And yes. not only that, we're not recording this one on a Sunday morning like we usually do. Actually, it we is are. a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's Sunday morning. It's on, but except it's uh, 2.15 on Sunday morning. We, uh, we just got done with Rob's annual Halloween party and we're not tired. So we've, <laughs> we're going to knock this out now. We have our mules in our hands and, uh, uh cheers. Yes. Uh, you're having a vodka mule. I'm having a bourbon mule. Yes. Uh, and we're, uh, we figured we're gonna get this knocked out now so that we can sleep in on Sunday. And, uh. Huzzah! <laughs> exactly. That's the way to, that's the way to do it. Uh, but we, um, we have, uh, three episodes we're gonna talk to you about this week. Two of them being debuts. Uh, we have the debut, the season premiere of Arrow, as well as the season premiere of Supergirl. Uh, season four of Supergirl, season seven of Arrow, and then of course we're going to talk about the second episode of the season of The Flash, uh, Flash's fifth season. So no Titans this week, that was just a one-off thing we're going to do. We're going to get to the rest of Titans later on this week, not to mention the fact that Rob and I have yet to watch it. Yes, uh, I haven't gotten a chance to watch episode two yet. I'm really excited to though, because I heard we do get to see Hawk and Dove, and I, I've been hearing a lot of positive uh, things, yeah. uh, which was really cool too to also see that something DC-related was certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I think that's a first. Yes. Well, maybe not a first, but it's been a while. It's it's definitely since I think Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, I think, was the last we've thing we've seen, seen something new um, added to that mix. But um, yeah, I'm incredibly excited to watch it. Um, I was originally it was going to be what I was going to do tonight as I was winding down, but um, we're doing this instead. Yes, but I think that's okay. I, so tomorrow, when I get a chance to relax. Titans is on my to-do list. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I want to say real quick before we jump into everything, uh, I have to pride you, sir, on your Halloween costume because it was pretty spot on to what you chose. I, I, I got a lot of compliments. Um, so I went as Jack Rackham, a.k.a. Calico Jack from Black Sails. And uh, a lot of people said uh, I, I, I sported a little too creepily. <laughs> where it, it just looked too right. The um, picture that you showed me, you were pretty... It was pretty identical. Like, um, I could have sworn it might have been you. I, and, and honestly, i got to commend you as well, sir. Uh, you went as Mork <laughs> I from went, Mork and Mindy. Yes. Rob Williams. 
And this was probably one of the only parties I could have gone to where more than half the people actually knew what that reference was. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is an older reference. It well, is a reference from the 70s. So. What's really funny, though, in all honesty for everybody uh, that's listening out there, uh, Ben and I are both bald. Ben and I both <laughs> normally have facial beards, hair. Yes. And we're looking at each other right now, both fully clean shaven. <laughs> Because Halloween's important to both of us. We went so. all out for the costumes. Yeah, so we, we both wore wigs. We both did. And we're both clean shaven. Yes, yeah, so uh, it feels super weird, but you know what? Hey, it's all good. Um, but honestly, before we get into the shows, I want to um, pimp one thing out real quick because it's important. Yes. Uh, we're in under two weeks from Extra Life for 2018 for Ben and I and 14 other individuals that are going to be playing for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Uh, for us specifically on our, our our side of the team, we're playing for uh, CHOP, which is uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. But um, we want to remind you guys all, uh, we want you guys to get off your ass. Instead of just liking a post, uh, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, we want you guys to jump on, engage with us. Uh, we've seen a huge, huge increase in likes on our Facebook page this week, but... And we welcome all of you. Every Absolutely. one of them, we welcome you all. Absolutely. Me. But uh, Extra Life is something that's very special to us. Uh, and the reason we say put your money where your mouth is, is this is a charity event. And every cent that you give goes directly to this hospital. Uh, the, they are non-profit hospitals. So that means everything that they function off of and work off of is money that's donated or through different organizations that help fund them and keep them running. Yeah. There's a lot of children that are getting constant care through them. So please, whether you're doing it just to enter our raffle, which if you look on our pin post on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash DC primetime, you'll see how much of your money is actually getting you as far as our raffle tickets. We've got those fabulous statues, the... Batman Arkham Origins statue that is the Black Mask Joker statue with the awesome LED TVs behind it. We also have that amazing, and I mean absolutely amazing, black and white Arkham City statue signed by Kevin Conroy. And also we're going to be giving away some DC Primetime swag. In addition to that, we also have a year subscription to DC Universe, which is the streaming service where you can watch things like Titans, in addition to Young Justice, Outsiders coming up soon, then shortly followed up by Doom Patrol. So Swamp Thing, Harley Quinn, all of these shows will be debuting within that year's time that we'll be paying for. Yeah, so, so, so we're giving you all of the entertainment, plus in addition to that, the comic books that they stream from there that you can check out through comic viewers on either iTunes or Android devices. So please make sure to give what you can. Share it out to your friends, and uh, yeah, it, it, you're helping out a great cause. And there is actually a DC Universe app for Roku now as well, because I actually have it on my Roku television. Yeah, this so. uh, no consoles yet, no no Xbox, PlayStation. Yeah, yet. I haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure it's probably uh, I not there just yet. checked on both. Nothing you, nothing okay. available quite yet, but still, uh, most people have smart TVs at this point or yeah. smartphones that you could at least stream to. So. Uh, plenty of different ways to go go about checking out um, your DC needs. Yes. Uh, I also want to bring up one more thing, if you don't mind. Another cause that I think is pretty important, especially today. Uh, we are two weeks, three weeks out, actually, from Election Day this year. And I don't want to turn this into a political post. I've mentioned this on a couple other podcasts I've done, and as well as a number of other podcasts I know friends do. They've brought this up as well. I don't care what your political affiliation is. I don't care who it is you're going to vote for. It is just, I, I just want to put the word out there. 
it is extremely important that if you are of age and you are in the United States, make sure you get out and vote. That's yes. what's important. You still have time to register and vote. Yes. Uh, it's never too late. We're getting really, really crazy, crazy close. We're, we're three weeks away from the election day for the midterms. Uh, and this year, more than any other year, that vote really is going to matter. Yes. Every single vote. So please don't let anybody tell you that your vote doesn't count because it, it absolutely does. Again, I, we don't care what your political affiliation is. That's your business and your business alone. The important thing is that you make your voice heard and you vote. Yes. That's um, again, this is not the last time you're going to hear us talking about politics tonight because we're going to talk about Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. And I will say this right up front. Super Bowl is not... Holding back again this year. And no, I, from the start. And, and I applaud them for it because, man, oh, man, um, we had um, two really excellent, excellent premieres this year. Yeah. Um, um, so we're three for three. So as long as Legends doesn't disappoint, um, I think we're we're going to be uh, potentially... Probably um, some of the best seasons of these shows. Four for four. We'll see. Four for four, hopefully. Let, let's get into it. All right. Well, since it. we're talking let's about it. it. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, which we're sure many of you might be at this point, because as Robin mentioned, we got a major influx of new likes uh, and people who are liking posts and commenting and such. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome to the podcast. Uh, but that also means I'm going to go over our process a little bit. First off, we're going to go through all three of the episodes in which Rob and I are going to give our one of three point ranking, that being sidekick, hero, or legend, sidekick being the worst and legend being the best. And then we will go back and we'll break down the episodes and talk a little bit about them. So, of course, let's kick things off with Supergirl since that was the first of the shows to air this week. Season four, episode one, American Alien. What do you say, Rob? Sidekick, hero, or legend? You know what? I was thinking about this one a little bit, but I think I'm going to give Supergirl a legend to kick off their season. And I think this is the first time I've given them giving them an actual legend to kick off. I think I may, maybe would have done this back in the start of season two, but I think this time I was pretty damn pleased with where they went. They actually really did a great job of addressing where we left off last season. Uh, they even gave us a little bit of quick mention through Lena's mouth with um, Ruby and Sam, which was nice to get them to close out their story. We got a nice closeout of where John's at now. We also saw where uh, good old Jimmy Olsen is at. Yeah. And I was really pleased in seeing the big, huge change-ups entering this season. Plus... We got introduced to not two, but three new characters already. Mm -hmm. Our villain and our two supporting villains. Yes. And I know you and I are both very happy about <laughs> About the of name them. of... Well, yeah. Yeah. The, the so. name of uh, both of them, actually. Um, yeah. I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm actually giving this a high hero. I didn't think it was as strong as Arrow this week or The Flash last week. And that's saying a lot considering I'm saying it wasn't as strong as Arrow. Because over the past season that we've gotten of Arrow... It could have been a fart in the wind and it would have been better than Arrow. But I'm, I, I'm, that's not to say I don't think Supergirl was really strong. I do. I think it was incredibly strong. You're right. It kicked off right from the beginning. And I'm very interested to see exactly where they're going to go with it. Because there was something teased at the end of the episode that I predicted we weren't going to see for a while. And we got it right from the first episode of the premiere. Right yeah. The season. I mean, like... Uh, like to remind you guys, like our, our, our legend rating is an 8.0 to a 10. Yeah. Uh, I would give this an 8. I, if, if I, like I said, I'm going high hero, 7.5. I mean, it's right up there on the border of legend. It was a good, like I said, a good, very good, strong, strong start, start, of the start to the season. Start, yeah. Absolutely. So. 
Uh, next one we have is Arrow, the season seven premiere, uh, with the season premiere being Inmate 4587. And I'll kick it over to you, Rob. Sidekick, hero. I already know what your answer is, but sidekick, hero, or legend? Um, also, uh, low tier legend for me. It's getting 8.0, so again, legend. Uh, I, I think the episode itself, it had a little bit of a slow build, but there was a beautiful, beautiful new twist in the format of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we used to see flashbacks. Now we're getting a flash forward. But that flash forward gave me a lot of hope and a lot of promise. And I'm excited about this season of Arrow. Season six, or not season six, season seven, seven yeah. of Arrow seems like it's going to be something kind of special and kind of exciting. So, again, legend for me. Well, it's a legend for me as well, too. And it's like I mentioned, too, as we were, uh, as we were talking about this, this is, um, uh, Arrow has gone lost. Because Arrow has uh, lost, had the flashbacks that turned into flash forwards that eventually turned into flash sideways. But let's hope the show never gets. And you can always <laughs> check Ben out on. We have to go back at the next level podcast network. Lost Revisited Podcast. That was not intended to be a cheap <laughs> plug. It really was not. But thank you for that. Sir. You're welcome. Um, no, it's um, I, it was a, it was a legend for me as well. If I had to give it a number, probably like an eight point five. I, I thought it was incredibly strong. You're right. The twist of the change of the format was really good, and yet again, you put Bamford at the hell at the helm of these episodes, and you were going to get some incredible fight sequences, which we got in this premiere. Not just from Stephen, I have to say. There was one that involved Emily that was pretty brutal as well. Stephen even mentioned that before too. That in the season premiere, uh, there. are... There are a number of visceral fight scenes, and believe it or not, Emmy ha- Emily Emmy Emily has the most visceral one, and I'm pretty sure he was right about that because she goes through some major stuff. Um, I mean, Chris, I will give them a a almost a ten out of ten just for the sheer fact that they found a way to do a shower prison fight <laughs> sequence right. without showing a thigh or buttocks yes. ever. Uh, which means, man, oh man, good job when you're cinematographer. There's only so much you can get away with on CW. But, yes, yeah, but so uh, nicely done. They nicely did done. it. Good episode. Uh, lastly, of course, we have The Flash Season 5 season premiere titled Blocked. Not uh, season premiere. Episode oh, I'm sorry. Two. No, you're right. Episode, episode two. 2. I'm in the season premiere format oh, with no, the other no, two. Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, but you're right, yes. Uh, the season two, the second episode of Season 5 titled Blocked, Sidekick, Hero, or Legend. You know what? I'm going three for three for me this week. Right. Uh, another legend for me. Again, low tier legend, but still. Uh, man, oh man, I am excited for the Flash again. <laughs> yeah. uh, they they got a legend for me last week. They're getting a legend for me again this week. Uh, I, I think we're seeing a continuation of a really great version of Ralph Dibney that's kind of evolved yes. a lot from last year. Uh, we're seeing a continuation of Jessica Parker Kennedy kicking ass as Nora Allen. Uh, but we're also seeing a really fun and confident version of Barry again. Yeah. And it's been really great to see a happy and excited version of The Flash. But not even that, though, too. I think the MVP again of this week, man, oh, man, Cisco had me <laughs> smiling like he used to, but in a very different way. And I think they're doing something really special with mixing up The Flash this year. And I think it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And there's a number of things. I'm giving it a legend as well. Uh, there's... A number of things that they're setting up for the season that I'm really interested to see where they're going. And a couple of them are a couple things that we didn't know exactly about last week that we've learned a little bit about this week and doing some research, which we'll get to when we talk about the episode. Um, certain names that were mentioned that we, we weren't too familiar with at the time and since 
it kind of clicked and we're like, oh yeah, that's who that person was. So we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the episode, but some of the stuff that they're setting up right off the bat, even into the second episode, I'm excited. I can't wait until the season goes forward. I wish we could binge it. Oh, I know. And just get through to the end, um, especially because... You know, well, talking about binging shows, I can't wait until we get to our recommendations because I think you and I are both going to have a uh-huh. non DC related, <laughs> but Halloween related. Well, yeah, definitely Halloween related, yeah. but you may have another one though too. I, but I am excited to talk about our recommendations this week because okay. I think we're going to go off the rails a little bit, a little bit, yeah, when we get bit. to the recommendations. But let's uh, before we get to that, let's jump back to the beginning and start breaking down these episodes a little bit. Starting first with Supergirl season four, episode one, American Alien. Supergirl is called into action when remnants of Cadmus attempt to assassinate pro-alien leaders, but their endgame turns out to be more sinister than she thinks. Um, going off of that, and I don't mean to jump around quite a bit, but there are definitely there was definitely a twist to this episode in that we we meet these three new characters. We meet Mercy Graves, we meet Otis Graves. Otis, of course, being the one that I remember finally. Right, but this is the first time that they actually ever called Otis associated with Mercy, which I thought was a beautiful twist on on those characters. Were they so they were never related? No, no, no. This was something. This was something brand new. But just the fact that they brought in Otis is just. I I, I just wish we would have gotten a chance to see him talk to one of the Luthers at this point. (laughs) Said Mrs. or Miss Mr. Luthor. I think, you know. Or even Miss Tessmacher would have been fun. Like, yeah. happen to bump into her on the street. Otisburg something. <laughs> yes. Anything would have Just been okay. Another one of those but little you know nods. what? I will say, though, uh, the Mercy that we got was a hardcore, vicious version of Mercy, the same way we, way we saw that character in the animated series. Yes. Which was really great, and I was really happy to see that. Same with the comic books. Uh, but I kind of like the fact that Otis was kind of bumbling still. A little bit. A little bit. Like they he, they he, made him a much more like handsome version of Otis. He obviously but wasn't he the was, Ned Beatty version. Well, yeah, well, he was still he was a serious character, but he still had a little bit of a twist of humor to him. And I yeah. like that. I really I really appreciated that a lot. Yes, exactly. Uh, but, you know, and, and on top of that, you know, we did mention that we got a number of new characters. We got... Uh, we got Mercy, we got Sam, but we were also introduced, uh, not Sam, uh, we got Mercy and we got Otis, but we were also finally introduced to Agent Liberty. I don't want to say finally, because it's the season premiere. Well, not even that, too. We also saw Nian All uh, for the first time. That's right. And she is going to be uh, a member that's associated with the Legion of Superiors. We already know this mm-hmm. uh, from talking about the summer summer months when we talked about the show. Uh, also, uh, a big point of uh, contention, I know for some people out there, but I know you and I both have zero issue and we're really applaud CW. Uh, this is our first transgendered superhero, also played by a transgendered actress. And I really am excited about the fact that they're taking a huge step forward. And you know what? In all honesty, after watching the episode, uh, that is actually... You mentioning that right now is the first I even remember that. And you know Which- what... Means and that it doesn't it doesn't even affect the it, series. It doesn't at all. it doesn't affect the series, and I'm really happy about that. But at the same time, though, too, I want to remind those people for anybody out there that listens that's all about kind of those progressive steps forward for TV shows. Mm-hmm. You have a transgendered character played by a transgendered actress, which honestly, the only other time I can think about that very clearly is Sense Eight, and I applaud CW for taking this step and doing it and doing it right. Well, CW has um, never been one to kind of falter when it no, comes to that. They, absolutely not. They absolutely have no not. issues of going political, which we've seen in past seasons. And again, we're talking about Supergirl. And we're going that way again this year, yeah. 
But you know what, though? I was really, really proud of them because I think they did a beautiful job because, you know what, they, they handled that with such care because they kind of laid the groundwork for Nia Nall. Uh, let's, let's just get her part out of it because it's... You're so, more familiar with it than it, I am. It's yeah, such a so. small part in, in, in this episode alone, but we, we don't get much about her. Kara doesn't get much from her as well as a character in the show, but we do see her kind of coming into the picture as another reporter that's going to be kind of working in conjunction with Cara Denver's is kind of her version of Cat Grant. We're, mm-hmm. we're watching her coming in the same way Cara did with Cat uh, a couple of years ago with her wanting to take the next steps in her career, which I thought was a really great way to introduce her. I even love the fact that even we see Cara saw, oh my God, you're, you're me. me. Yes. And I was, the it, elevator was, it, was, scene. it was really humorous. It was really fun. Yeah. And it made you smile. It was, and it reminded you of who these characters are. It was a great reintroduction to Cara as a character. And I, that, I think, worked really in a, in the show's benefit to kicking off Season 4. Yeah. It kind of broke us away from where Season 3 ended, where it was kind of... Car never felt like she reached that same point that we saw her in previous seasons, where she was excited and happy about being Supergirl. This, it reminded you of, hey, she's this person that doesn't have a... She has a chip on her shoulder. She's happy and excited about life. All these little pieces. And it brought us into that same kind of window and looking in through a different character's perspective. And it was a really fun way to do it. Yeah. Um, but I love what they did with Nia Nall is they had her pitch a story about fashion and what it means to tell a story about well, she, who you are. She, Kara had her pitch it to her. She well, didn't yes. get to, to pitch it to, the, but, to Jimmy. But, right. She yeah. didn't pitch it to Jimmy, but she pitched it to Kara. And she was kind of like, hey, it, it, it says a lot more about who you are as a person. But what she was telling was kind of telling a story about what it's like to have clothing tell you who you are versus what everybody mm-hmm. thinks about. And it's a great way to peel back that layer for that we know people go through as transgendered in, in our world. And I think that was a beautiful way to kind of introduce everybody to this idea without telling everybody out front and center right about it. But this was a great way to introduce that idea. Yeah. And I think this was beautifully, beautifully executed. The same way that we saw a lot of other things last year and the year before executed as far as xenophobia, which we're going to talk about again in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but even things like Alzheimer's last year with John and Marin and things like that, they opened that door in a very careful, calculated way. And, and, I'm, and, and, and I'm very proud of Supergirl, again, for opening the door in a careful way without coming out and having to slam you upside the head with it. Yeah. And also, I mean, you mentioned the Alzheimer's story with, you know, with John and Marin from last season. That wasn't just told in a in a very brave way by CW, but that was told in a very beautiful way at the same time. We talked so much last season about the relationship between John and Marin and how beautiful beautifully it was told. And then when we talked to David. When, yeah, David when, Harewood. When we talked to David Harewood, he raved about working with Carl Lumby the whole time and getting to, to portray that relationship too. So it's going to be very interesting to see where they're going to go with this. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. I applaud CW for taking this step and being able to do this. So, yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean, at the same time, it, it was a very great way to introduce the character. But also, it was another way to almost kind of take the characters back to the beginning. Except that it, it wasn't reflecting... It wasn't a way to take Kara back to the beginning. It was a way to reflect the beginning, but just through another character. Well, if that makes sense. No, and I get you. I get you on that completely. And I think one of the other ways you can put this, too, was this was a reminder to the audience. 
on how much has changed since the end of last season into this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really honestly thought they did a great job with that too, because one of the biggest massive shakeups that we had this going into this year is we're, we're winless. There, there's no win shot. No, and except we get Brainy, and we get Brainiac, and we got to watch that transition happen through the eyes of Alex. Yes, and I think they did a great job because there, there felt something felt off in the DEO, and I will openly admit I felt it too. And I think that was very intentional because of the story that they were telling in this first episode. Um, we see Alex and Brainiac kind of. Going, they're going head to head. They're butting heads with each other, mainly because of the fact that it Brainy's not listening to Alex, and he either takes every one of her orders too seriously or he doesn't take it seriously at all. There's no gray area with Brainy at this point, and I think that's that's definitely something that's changed a little bit by the end of the episode, especially when you get the whole fact that you know Brainy's the one that realizes that it he's not win, and that's probably the problem. That's the issue. Wynn was kind of like Alex's right-hand man. Wynn is gone. Brainy has just stepped in, but he's not Wynn. So, and that's where a lot of the point of contention comes between Alex and Brainy in this episode. But I really love the fact that they even had him go as far as wearing Wynn's sweater. He was <laughs> the sweater in, vest. He was in the sweater vests and the whole nine, and he was trying to be Wynn. He went to the comic book store around the corner from Wynn's apartment yeah. and. But I like the fact that he even is the one that addresses it. And he's like, I'm not winning. Yeah. And it was Alex and him just having that conversation of like, we just need to figure out how, what our dynamic is. You're not used to me and I'm not used to you. Yeah. And I really thought that was a great way to introduce, introduce us to a new version and the next step of the DEO in Supergirl. Well, not only that, but, you know, we did get that moment at the beginning of the episode where Supergirl was in trouble when she had the gravity cuffs on her. She fell to the ground. And Brainy, without hesitation, immediately hops into action and goes to release her from the cuffs. And then it's at that point, a little bit later on, that, you know, Alex is the one that Ray kind of pulls him in a little bit and says, you are not to leave unless I order you to. You can't just up and run and off and do that. And I think that's a great step into kind of transition in, in the Brainy because that's not something that Wynn would have done. Wynn would very, he didn't have the ability to do that for one, but even if he did, he stayed at the DEO. And when you have a character like Brainy who does have a Legion ring and has the ability to fly off, this is a good way to kind of rein him in. Because if you have a character that can just up and do that at any time, it's very difficult to try and find a way to to ground him. And this is a great way to do it in that they build this relationship between Alex and Brainy, and Alex is the one that kind of gives him the order that's like, you are not to leave unless I tell you to. Right. And that's a good way to ground him. Absolutely. Um, let's let's jump to another pairing of, of characters. Um, let's talk a little bit about James Olsen. And uh, Lena. Lena, Lena Luther, because we found out in the beginning of this this episode, though too, um, James's uh, unmasking that we saw in the finale last year had some pretty big ramifications for him, and even bigger ramifications by the end of the episode as well. Yeah, well, that's, not maybe not bigger know, ramifications, but pretty, pretty, pretty sizable. But they could essentially lead to something else, which I've been wanting to happen for a while. So. You're right. I mean, we see that, um, you know, James is under investigation for uh, for coming out as Guardian. So, again, similar to what we're seeing in Star City with uh, with, with, Oliver. with Oliver. Yes. Uh, that whole kind of uh, vigilantism uh, yes. in, in National City. Except this is a different Earth, so James got away with it. Yes. Oliver got locked up. <laughs> well, well, again, uh, it... 
Well, he almost well, didn't get away. He with almost it. didn't get away with it, yes. and it's because of uh, Lena's involvement, and in which James had given her explicit orders to not get involved. And of course, being a Luther, she went against those orders and she did it herself. Now, she had good intentions for why she did it. She's obviously very caring for for James, and that's why she did it. She wanted to save him the grief of having to go through this. But it's still Luther doing something in a nefarious way. Again, though, could this be a reflection of Luther's in any case, in that Luther's really do believe they're doing the greater good. They're just going about horrible well, ways to I do think, it. I think in Lena's perspective, or what we see in this episode, absolutely. I and think it's also a way she screwed her mom. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here <laughs> with with the, this storyline specifically. Yes. Uh, we, we see uh, Lena and Lillian... Um, Spending some time together playing chess mm-hmm. in jail, which seems like it's a thing, whether you're Charles Xavier and, uh, Magneto. <laughs> and Magneto. Uh, but again, um, I love the fact that they kind of had Lena playing her mom. Yeah. Um, not just in chess, but also psychologically. I thought that was a really cool kind of twist on that whole idea. Yeah. But the fact that she was going in for her own own goals and own reasons to find out. And again, we bring up a classic Superman character, Bruno Mannheim, mm-hmm. uh, who we know is connected to things like Inner Gang, um, especially in the comic books, if you're big fans of uh, Superman. Now, we haven't met Bruno in the not, show. Not, not, not okay. I didn't think so. Um, like I said, we, we saw uh, the characters last year. Like, uh, I, I, I keep wanting to say, no, not Peter Petrelli, but... I know who you're talking about. Uh, Maxwell, not Maxwell Lord. No, He no, was from no, back no. from season one. Um... I know who you're talking about, and I right. can't remember, I can't I, my, remember the name. My either. brain goes to a show from like 10 years ago. Yeah. So, um, but still, uh, when we're talking about things, though, here, uh, we're, we're talking about Bruno Mannheim, who is a, a person that's really in the depths of uh, National City and Metropolis' underground. Yes. Uh, and we hear Lex's name dropped, uh, the fact that he is an associate, somebody that's using, um, you know, uh, Elcor uh, and Luther, uh, like, you know, like Lex, uh, Lex's enterprises, like a, like a front and, company, yeah. And Luther, Luther Enterprises kind of help fundle, like, like, like funnel money through, yeah, and use that for money laundering purposes. So we we do see this brought up pretty clearly, and I think that was a great way to kind of bring up some additional backstory because Lex is going to be not. That's not the last time you're going to hear us bring up Lex. No, in this no, podcast. we're going to be talking about Lex again in the news at the end of the podcast. Yes, which I. Holy crap, I'm super <laughs> yes. excited about. That between the story itself and some of the rumors floating around it, man, it's right. going to be So, but fun. again, uh, we see that brought up, but that brings Lena into a really interesting position where she has to kind of leverage her mom for information yeah. to potentially push the DA of National City to not indict James Olsen yeah. as guardian, as a vigilante, and say, hey, why don't you look the other way because I'm going to bring you this information that's going to clear... Jimmy, because you're going to have bigger fish to fry. Yes. Bruno Mannheim is a, a larger fish versus the Guardian. Yeah. And I love that concept. And I love that idea. But I also love where that's going to potentially split Lena and Jimmy. And, J- and James, yeah. Now, at so. the same time, too, I think one of the coolest... I, I also thought it was a lot of fun that at the same time, when you had that scene with, you know, um, Lena's mom... Um, Lillian. Lillian. Yeah. Lillian sitting in the prison with the chessboard in front of her, seeing the news story in the background of Bruno Mannheim being indicted now and Jimmy being off. Um, Checkmate. Her knocking over the king 
and it, you know, was pretty much checkmate against herself, and she knew it at that time. She was played by her daughter, uh, Lena. Um, but at the same time, again, let's switch to the opposite side of that. James is now no longer indicted. He's been released of all charges from uh, from being guardian. However, there is the stipulation that if he does proceed and become guardian again, he can be arrested on site right. and be brought up on charges. Now, what does that mean for the future of the show and future of Guardian? I potentially me I potentially think that this could lead us into something I've been wanting to see for a while, and that be Guardian becoming an actual guardian of Cadmus. And I think that's a high chance. And being played by somebody else, not James, but um, potentially bringing back the original character that we did meet, who is supposed to be Guardian in the comic books. The name. My it's, mind. Uh, again, we're, we're right now. It's it's two forty five in the morning. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but all I can say, actor. I, I remember the actor, Eddie McClintock yes. from Warehouse Thirteen. Yes. Portrayed him. Yes. Um, so I, I I would be very surprised and interested if we saw him return to the role of playing Guardian. And I wouldn't mind seeing a little upgrade to the costume. Yes. Well. Maybe some blue and gold. It's some blue and gold added to the costume. So yes. that that I think that's. Not out of the realm of possibility. No, I would love to see that. Um, all right, let's jump to one other character because we've gotten Alex and Brainy out of the way. We mm-hmm. got um, James and we got Lena out of the way. We talked about Mercy and Otis. Mercy and Otis, uh, where they were pretty much again um, kind of guns for hire in yeah. this episode. Um, we didn't see too too much of them. Again, they kind of almost kind of filled the role of the villain of the week. Mm-hmm. But we know we're going to see a lot more of them. Yes. So we'll bring up Agent Liberty at the end. Uh, but let's talk about John Jones. Okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing a little bit of a again another one of those things that Supergirl has never been afraid to do at this point, and that's getting political. And they're touching on a subject that's very prevalent in the country today, and that is discrimination. And, you know, while their their take on it is a little bit different, their take on it is, you know, they are aliens among us. And they are, just like everybody else, they're trying to get jobs, they're trying to live normal lives, and there are people who are very much against this. Hence, Mercy, Otis, Agent Liberty. And not only that, but there are other factions of people that are well, against this we, as well. we see an entire email network and a one-line network that's through the dark web that they mentioned in this episode. Of people who are basically becoming terrorists against aliens. We, we basically see the alt-right version of anti-alien propaganda yeah. that's who, happening in this episode. People who are normal soccer moms getting bombs to try and kill aliens on, on Earth. Right. And I, I want to be very upfront and honest and open with our listeners. Um, one of the things I thought that Supergirl season two did amazingly was talk about xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it correlated very well to our real world issues that we're dealing with right now in the U S. And I think what was really beautifully done about this episode was the fact that we saw Kara kind of talk about, Hey, well, the world's getting better. Everything's getting better, which is something that I think most of us actually agreed with and thought, Hey, it's getting better. And then <laughs> a little while ago, things changed mm-hmm. in a pretty dramatic way. And I don't speak for Ben, but I kind of speak for Ben because I know where his, his yes. heart lies <laughs> in the same place that mine does. And we said, hey, everything's getting better. And then you're like, oh, no. It's not, <laughs> not getting not better. Not just, oh, no, but in that slow, oh, oh no. no. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's not getting better. No. Um, and I think this show did a beautiful job of kind of having that same sentiment. This is their own way um, of reflecting real life situations, but just adapting it for for the show, for and, the story. Right. Yes. And I, I think Supergirl has always done, I think, its best job when it's telling a political message, uh, but very specifically when it adapts it to its own world. Yes. And its universe. And specifically, the xenophobia thing has been, I think where they have achieved that political messaging the best. And I think that's why they went back to it this year as well, because they were successful in the way that they did it the first time. And it's a very, very smart move. And I think they did a great job with that. And I think they they kicked things off the way and the place where they need to. Yes. I mean, we're seeing, as you mentioned with John, we're seeing John being part of focus groups. Or or not focus groups, but... um, He's, he, he, he's trying to become a, a, a voice for change instead of a fist for change. Yes, exactly. He's living among the people now. He's no longer a member of the DEO. And he's seeing everything firsthand as he's mentioned to Kara. Because Kara is the one who, as much as we say like she's very happy-go-lucky in this episode uh, and this season, she kind of has the blinders on a little bit. And she's not seeing... Like, she even takes the whole crime with Mercy and Otis as just a form of terrorism. Somebody trying to get a bomb so they can blow up a power plant or something like that. Uh, we do find out a little bit later what the actual purpose of this this was, but John actually is the one that sees this for what it is, and he sees it as, as you mentioned, xenophobia. Well, there's a great line though too. It's like it was like, well, everybody sees you as one of their own. Yeah, and I love that. I thought that was such a po- that was very powerful writing in this episode, and that's one of the reasons why I definitely gave this. The legend I, I can see that yeah. is because it, they were very careful. Again, we talk about Neon Null. They handled that with such grace and care, and they were very specific and chose their wording perfectly. Mm-hmm. They did the exact same thing here with, I think, the message of what they're going to try to tell us this year. And I think it's going to be all about that xenophobia again. Well, and, but they, they they handled it with uh, cars said, but they look just like me. So, of course, everything's okay. It's making her kind of that character that has to kind of be woke yeah. through all this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was a really smart move because you're reminding everybody that sometimes you forget just because they're, they look like you doesn't mean they're not going through the same struggles that you think they are. Yes. And I thought that was a smart move. And as you mentioned too, like at the end, uh, by the end of the episode, we do see something major revealed that we as an audience already knew. But now the rest of this world is going to know about too. And that is basically the ultimate plan of Mercy, Otis, and Agent Liberty, who we'll get to in a second. And that is they basically, we see that whole attack on the president at Camp David. And it, we find out by the end of the episode, this was not to actually assassinate the president, who we see the returning Linda Carter playing the president again. Always a great thing to see. But... This it, was, was, it was lighting the match. It was lighting the match to reveal to the world and successfully that the president is indeed an alien. Right. And she has been hiding among everybody, not only hiding among everybody, but in a position of leadership and power. Right. Which now, as you mentioned, the fuse has been lit and we're going to see in future episodes. We're going to see probably impeachment proceedings start very soon. In if not assassination attempts by right. other people from these factions. And this is where we're going to see Bruce Boxlander um, yes. join in the fray as the vice president and becoming the new president and seeing where his allegiance lie in the country and how that's going to impact National City and the rest of the country in Earth-38. 
Yes. So I think this was a really strong, strong, strong start to this season. And especially with the story that they want to tell this season. This right. was a great way to to do it. Now, let's talk about a little bit about Sam Witwer as uh, Agent Liberty, because we always saw him as the background, but uh, it's joining the fray, same as the Flash, of saying, hey, we're not going to shy away from who our big bad is this season. Yeah, right from the start, we we get an introduction to this character. Now, we don't we, we haven't seen his face, but we do know who was cast as Agent Liberty. Right. That was Sam Witwer, who, I, I have to add, is... Good actor and a great voice actor on top And not of only it. that, but another former... DC alumni. And right. He played Doomsday in Smallville. Yeah, for a season. So yeah. uh, I, um, I love it when they bring back these characters. To, to and honestly, though, too, even even beyond that, too. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen uh, Solo, uh, came back to yes. voice Darth Maul. That's right, uh, because he voiced Darth Maul through both Rebels and Clone Wars. And, you had uh, to you had to tell me about that because I thought it was still Ray Park. Uh, well, Ray Park played the character, he but he wasn't. Vo- he didn't yeah. voice him, uh, but. Uh, Sam Witwer, who uh, somebody I fell in love with actually way back in the day from uh, Being Human, uh, but not even that though too. But honestly, his stint um, as uh, the apprentice in Force, in the Star- Awakens. In Force Awakens games, that's right. Force, Force I Awakens, that was uh, he was the lead, but uh, great, great actor. And um, I've definitely seen his chops uh, all across his career. And uh, really excited to see what he's going to bring to Agent Liberty. Not yeah. even just through his voice, but um, his physical presence. Oh, yeah. Because he's absolutely. a great actor and a great voice actor. So, um, And I love the fact that they're, they're leaning into his voice actor role in addition to his, uh, his actual acting ability, physical, yeah. physical presence. And I think he's going to be a really big, huge MVP of this season. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how long it's going to be until we get him revealed. I don't and, think it's going to take long. I think because they're they're... Showing us his character now, um, I think by episode the end of episode five or six, we're going to see the man behind the mask uh, interacting with our cast of characters. But we may not; uh, they may not know he's a that who he is. Yeah, he but, might uh, be somebody who, like he was with Doomsday in Smallville, when he was right. just a normal person interacting with everybody else. And in Smallville, like he was, I think he became very close to Chloe, and then it was revealed later that he was Doomsday. So right. we as the audience know who he is, but the people of the city will not know. Yeah. Um, like, again, uh, we to, to quick, quick mention, though, too, um, Linda Carter, awesome, again, as Absolutely. president, as you mentioned before. Every time. Uh, what was your thoughts as far as the shift and kind of place that we see Kara to start off the season? I think her eyes, as you, you used the word a little bit earlier in the conversation, but I think, uh, the word woke is, is pretty prevalent in this moment. I think she's kind of had maybe not completely, but the blinders have been lifted a little bit. And I think she's going to start to see what this could be because like her, you know, she is, everybody knows that she is an alien, but she looks like everybody else. Whereas, the president, I don't even think at this point Kara knew that the president was an alien. I think only us as the audience were the only ones privy to that information. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what – I really don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I think I think the blinders have been lifted a little bit, but I don't think completely. I think Kara still needs a little bit of coaxing uh, to be completely – realized of the entire situation. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think one of the other big key pieces of that, though, too, came out of James's mouth when he's talking to Kara and says, oh, my God, you are Cat Grant. 
Yes. And I kind of like that idea. I, I really liked what Callista Flockhart brought to the show. I did too. And I, I really think that having Kara kind of fill a little bit of that void, which is a character that I never thought that would fill that void, um, kind of transition into, is, yeah. is going to be a fun piece of this season. But at the same time, it's also great watching Kara kind of come into her own as a reporter at right. the same time. Yeah, she kind of, she's she's going to be, I think, in a really interesting place this season. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about the season. This I am. Uh, before we wrap it up, let's talk about that, the, the end scene yeah. that we did get. We go to Kaznia. Yes, we go to Russia, in which it's not the first time in the episode we have gone to Russia. No. Because Kara does go to the, to Russia to, re- to stop the train. But, uh, 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 but even she brings up to, to James, no, 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 not Russia, Kaznia. Oh, that's right. That's absolutely right. And she brings back the bottle of vodka, which means that Kara is now a bootlegger. Yes. Uh, which I thought she about She didn't that. pay her duties no, and taxes. No, she did not. No, she basically But, well, you know, out. it's like flying, though, so it's duty-free duty free uh, boots. All right, I guess we can say that. <laughs> uh, no, but we do. We get to see, again, something that I was predicting over the summer. I didn't think we were going to see until after the crossover. I didn't think it was going to come. Now, just because we've seen it doesn't mean that it's going to come into play again until after the crossover. Because the crossover does happen relatively early this year, beginning right. of December. Yeah. So, and and then I think at that point we're heading into mid-season finale territory when they take the break for, for the holidays. Um, so I really don't think we're going to see much more of this. I think this was just a teaser. But by the end of last season, we did see... What we're assuming to be the Red Sun version of Kara, of Supergirl. And we have seen that this version of Kara is not only has been discovered, but is being put to use by the, the Russians, right. Kasnians. The Kasnians. Kasnians, yeah. whoever yeah. it is. Um, and she's basically punching her way through a cave. So she is manual labor at this point. Does that mean she's being uh trained or you know kind of coaxed to become a weapon of some sort we don't know that yet we've only seen a quick glimpse of her um again i didn't think this was something we would see until after the crossover and i'm still kind of sticking to that and that i don't think this is going to become prevalent to this season until after the crossover i think you're right i think we're going to see that layer kind of peeled back yeah, little bit by little bit, kind of like the same way that we look at the Flash usually with that after lightning bolt kind of sequence. Um, I think we're going to see that kind of peeled back. Um, but I think one of the other key things we're going to see with this though too is I think we're going to see her used in the similar way of like Justice League Unlimited, where we saw Galatea, who ultimately became Power Girl. All those mm-hmm. pieces kind of peeled back, where we're going to see this twisted, almost biz- uh, bizarro version of Supergirl. But we're going to see her used uh, for nefarious purposes where she doesn't realize or know she's any doing better the things, yeah. that she's doing something horrible. She's going to be kind of brainwashed into believing that Kara is the enemy. And I think we're going to end up still – I still think we're going to end up this season where we're going to have a power girl. By the that end. would be pretty cool. It and, really, um, really would. And I, it's going to be exciting because can you imagine when Kara and Kara get the team up together? Next that's, year. That's a that, lot of work for Melissa Benoit, but you know. I think she's up for the goal. I, I, I think she's up for that task completely. Yeah. Um, I, I want to also bring up, I think, before we move on to our next show, which probably should be Arrow. 
Oh yeah, it's going to be yeah. um, before we get into the Flash. But um, I really love though that they also open up the season and remind us that Superman is off world. Yes, I completely forgot about that, but you're right. It was a good way to kind of remind us that Superman is still in this world, but also explain why he hasn't been around because we haven't seen him since what season two, I right? Think. We we saw some brief stuff with him where yeah. there was some mind control and. And whatnot, but yeah, I love the fact that they kind of said, "Hey, this guy's just remember Superman's in this universe because you know he's going to be important in a couple weeks." Yes. And oh he yeah. Really will be important in a couple. weeks. We don't know yet to this degree, and we'll talk about that a little bit we more will. in, we in will. the news. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it was a great way to remind us that he. Is but nicely done, nicely yes. done by the show. And yes. I loved and I loved watching kind of Supergirl running around the world and and stopping crimes, not just in National City, but. Uh, so just everyone. Yeah. It was cool. It was yeah. a really awesome touch. Exactly. All right. Let's move on to the next show because I think we spent a good amount of time on uh, on Supergirl. And I'm pretty sure we're probably going to spend a good amount of time on this next one as well. Uh, that being Arrow, the season seven premiere, Inmate 4587. My screen went blank for a second. Sorry. Uh, after surrendering to the police for being the Green Arrow, Oliver tries to survive in prison while a new unknown vigilante emerges in Star City. Uh, where to begin with this one? Again, James Banford doing a phenomenal job as a director. I love seeing his name in the credits every time we get it. Uh, one of the first people from these shows I ever get to talk to, and it was an amazing interview. So I'm so happy that he's gotten to this point. And I have to say, on IMDb, a 9.3 out of 10 for this episode. It has been a long time since any episode of Arrow has gotten a rating that high. Uh, on Crisis on Earth X. I've probably the last one. I don't yeah. even really count that because it's a crossover. Right. You know, you look at straight episodes of Arrow, it has been probably a good two or three seasons before any episode of the show has gotten a rating that high on IMDb. Well, you know what? It's funny because like we were, I, I was concerned about how long we were going to spend on this one. And I think this is actually going to be a relatively short It's very straightforward thinking about it. Because, again... This show knew what it wanted to do, and as short as this conversation may be, I don't want to state that it was not a strong and powerful start to this season. We got to see the return of the uh, NTA, New Team Arrow, and the Outsiders, as me and Ben love to refer them uh, as, and we also see where Oliver's at. We see where William and Felicity are at. We also see our villain from last season make a triumphant return, and uh, we we definitely get to see Richard Dragon make another early early appearance. No, I want to talk. I want to talk to you about that too. Since you brought him up, let's talk about Diaz um, for a minute. And this is something I've seen a couple other people mention that they really had an issue with this episode, and I don't have as big of an issue with this because I have a theory, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. We do get that scene, we, we get the whole opening scene, which is a dream sequence on Oliver's head of Diaz coming out of the woods, chasing, chasing Felicity and uh, William, uh, him shooting Felicity, and then that's when uh, Oliver wakes up. It's obviously a nightmare that Oliver is having. Right. But a little bit later on in the episode, we do see that Diaz has discovered where Felicity... We do know that Felicity and William are in witness protection at this point, basically through Argus. And... Um, we, we do see that at one point Diaz does find out indeed where they are. And that's where that visceral fight that I had mentioned at the top of the episode comes in. In that we see 
And again, it happens at a fight at, a, at the same time with Oliver, and we'll get to that in a minute. But we see that fight with Felicity and Diaz in the apartment where Felicity's flipped over into a table and such. The scene ends with Diaz pulling out a knife and saying, you're going to regret this. Then we get a cut. And the next thing we see is Felicity showing up at the prison, completely out of witness protection and talking, letting Oliver know that she is safe. The big issue that I've seen people with, and she she mentions when she's talking to Oliver that if it hadn't been for Argus showing up when they did, I I, I would have been dead. Now, the the complaint that I've seen is that they didn't see Argus come in, and how did Diaz escape if Argus showed up? I think there's a little bit more to this. I do too, and I think it's going to be unveiled in the next couple of weeks. I do too. Okay, so you're I, right on the same page with I, me. I have a feeling that... Argus didn't show up. Argus never showed up, no. and I think we're going to see... Felicity some kind of deal maybe made. made some kind of deal, yes. and that's why William's going away to boarding school. Yes. And I think she knows that if she didn't do X, she was going to die, William was going to die, and Diaz was going to be punching the clock of other members yes. of Team Arrow. Uh, and I because think that's the exactly where it's going to go. And Be- I think um, I'm on the same page as you. Okay, yeah, because the rest of the team is very open and out in the public. So if he was able to find Felicity and William who were being protected, he could very easily find where everybody else right. was. So I, I think you're. I think that's exactly it. I think some kind of deal was made between Felicity and Diaz um, to protect William, protect herself, at least for the time being. And it's going to come up. It's going to come up in, in some way, shape, or form. And that's exactly why things played out the way they did. Right. Um, and I agree with you on there. So, okay. uh, and again, you mentioned that William and um, Felicity are in Witsec, and they're pretty much just kind of surviving. Yeah. We, we see her kind of working as a barista. With pink hair. With pink Which hair. Which I really liked, actually. I'm that not going to lie. Um, but you know what, though, too? I think we also got introduced to a new character. Somewhere in there as well. Which the was, guy in the coffee shop? Yes. Who do you believe him to be? Uh, my brain tells me he's Ted Cord. Ooh, that's an interesting predi- prediction. Uh, but it could be somebody else. But I don't think we saw the end of that character that, that, character that we saw uh, in that scene. Now, if he pops up in another place, even now with, with Felicity out of witness protection, then yes, he is definitely somebody important to the remainder of the story. Which we know. Yeah. It's just a matter of who is he Who is he going to be. Right. Yeah. But I think he is the supposed love interest that we're going to see for Curtis this season. Okay. I can um, see that as well. Uh, because, again, we knew we were going to get a new hero uh, that was also going to be a love interest to Curtis this year. And I think that was our introduction to him. Okay. Uh, and I would not be surprised if they see if we see Ted Cord be that character. Yeah, because I think haven't we gotten word that Ted Cord was being introduced this season, or is well, that just a rumor? Rumor, okay, rumor at this point in time. But I would not be surprised if that's who we just got introduced to. Okay, yeah, um, I mean, you, you mentioned Curtis, and we now know that Curtis is doing R and uh, R and D for, for Argus. Argus, which is pretty cool. Which was cool. Uh, we've seen uh, Dinah is now uh, a captain in the Star Police uh, SDPD. Yeah, and or SPD, and oh no, SCPD. Sorry. And it's late. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's 10 after early, 3. Early, whatever. Whatever you want to call it. This. Um, yeah, but, and then we see that Renee is basically working with kids 
in a kind of like a youth group, yeah. Like um, and his daughter being one of the people that right. he's working with. Yeah, yeah. We 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 see his daughter in the mix there, but uh, we we see him basically working with the community, kind of uh, doing uh, programs for self self protection. Basically, the fact that SCPD has not been able to hold up to their end of the bargain and keep the citizens of Star City safe yeah. in the absence of Green Arrow. Yes, basically, kind of like the freaks are out and playing. But, as you mentioned, in the absence of Green Arrow, is it indeed the absence of Green Arrow? Because we are seeing somebody taking up the hood at some point and going through and not only protecting the city and going against the criminal element, but it looks like also tackling Oliver's list that we've gotten back from season one. So uh, we're seeing names crossed off that list back from, you know, when Oliver first came back from Lian Yu. And... Um, you know, so whoever this is, it, which is still a mystery at this point, I think is going to remain a mystery for a little while. Uh, we did see a news reporter where the producers have said that the, the, the reveal of the, new the reveal of this person will be this yep. season. And my reaction to that was duh. <laughs> um, you know, hopefully that's who we find out who it is this season. But yeah, we, this person has taken up the mantle of Green Arrow has taken on the list that Oliver kind of got away from, from the first season. And so far doing a good job. He's got a little brutal, more brutal tactics going back to originally how Oliver was when he first started. So it's going to be interesting to see, do you have any theories as to who this person could be? I have two. Okay. Um, the first is, is going to be uh, Colton Haynes. Okay. As Roy Harper mm-hmm. kind of becoming the new Green Arrow and actually beating Green Arrow for the first time instead of just taking the fall for Oliver in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, oddly enough, is Dinah Drake. Uh, but I, but they, they've been in the same scene together. In that warehouse, Dinah was there. She was, but I would not be surprised to see if this is uh, multiple people taking on this role of Green Arrow. It's not one, but multiple. Um, cause I could see her also being a person that's not able to look away. Um, and my third is somebody we saw a brief sequence with, which is Katie Cassidy, uh, as Black Canary. Uh, but now as hmm. the new DA. Yeah. Um, and her potentially taking up that mantle as well. So there's, that could be interesting. Um, I didn't but, even think about it. But that again, one. the, there's a fourth in my brain though, too. <laughs> now is, you're is, thinking about it. Is Quentin well, Lance. Well, no, not Quentin Lance, <laughs> but it's somebody else that was only on you when we last saw them in season five, which is Artemis. I would not be surprised to see Artemis survive uh, that explosion in Lian Yu. We never saw a body. True. And we don't know much what's going to happen to her yet. So I'm curious to see if she maybe comes back into play. What if it's William? Like back from the future on the Wave Rider. It very well could be. <laughs> There's a lot of options. But um, if, if my brain's going to connect to any of them the most, I think right now my brain's going to say, because of something else big that happened in this episode, it's going to be Roy Harper. It's going to be Roy Harper. Yeah, because, I mean, we did post this. When I posted that, um, one of our listeners did post, like, it's very obvious who it is. And I, I posted, my reply was, is, is it? it? Yeah, because I really don't think it is. I don't think. It's I don't think that it's a clear cut answer. No, I, I really, really don't. don't. And I really so, don't think it's somebody like John Diggle because even he was pretty damn surprised. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things, and I apologize if any of our listeners are offended, but I, I think if anybody is able, 
anybody who is casket watches oh, back God. with a new name it's who is under the hood under the hood watch no i think anybody who's able to make that prediction and think it's obvious in the first episode i think is crazy i think i really do honestly all i have to say is vigilante and unmasking we had no that idea who that was i don't think anybody did and no. i think we're in the same boat again yeah and um i'm excited about that i am too but you mentioned obviously the well. Let's talk a little bit about let's Oliver, talk about Oliver in and then let's get into the back, and then we'll the talk about stuff. yeah, and then we'll talk about this stuff at the end at the end of the conversation. But man, oh man, some visceral stuff happening. Uh, but really cool seeing Michael J. White come back, uh, Cody Rhodes come back, um, and uh, Vinnie Jones coming back and reprising their roles from characters they've played earlier in the season. And not only that, but man. I gotta tell you, these were some of the best. This and I don't remember the actor's name, but dude, that kid from Freddy vs. Jason that's, coming back. <laughs> that's, I, that's where I knew him from. I couldn't remember. Uh, Brendan Fletcher is yes. the actor's name. I couldn't remember where I knew him from, and that's where it was. It's from uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Um, yeah, it's it, again. We've we've made mention of this before that no matter how much we put these shows down, one of the places. That this show shines above all of the shows on the CW and all of the shows in the Arrowverse is the fight scenes. And we get that clear as day in the this fight episode. choreography always knows exactly what it wants to do. James Benford being the director of the episode, also previously being a fight, uh, the fight cor- choreographer the for the show. coordinator for the show, yeah. Um, obviously knew he what he wanted to do, and man oh man, did this episode shine from start to finish. Yeah. Whether it was the sequence with Diaz and Felicity, whether it was the shot with all of the ex-villains dealing with Oliver in the prison and the shower sequence the shower fight. Um, yeah. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. Yeah. And it was one of those moments, too, that when we get to the end of the episode where Oliver has realized, like, it, it literally it takes Felicity to kind of snap him out of it. He's He's got this whole thing that he he's not getting involved with anybody that he doesn't have to get involved with. You know, we get this kid... Uh, again, the actor Brendan Fletcher who comes over to him that he wants to be a part of Oliver's gang and he wants to be protected by Oliver. And Oliver's like, I can't do that. Like, I'm not getting involved with anybody. I have to protect my family. It was that means, laying low idea. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to involve myself with anyone because I don't want to risk anything happening. But it takes Felicity literally coming to the prison and after the whole fight with Diaz and saying, you know... I, I'm tired of hiding. Like, I don't want to hide anymore. This needs to end. And that's... It takes Oliver going back to his cell, seeing the picture of Felicity and William, and then we get that amazing part where he comes back to the yard. Going out to the yard and and driving up waiting. And just going to town on these three guys. And of course, the one guy he's not hitting is Cody Rhodes, who you see just sitting it out in the background. And he's the one guy out of all of them that doesn't feel pain. But so you know he's intimidated if he doesn't feel any pain and he's not getting involved in yeah. this fight. No, it was beautifully done. Uh, yes. Again, beyond that, though, we didn't get a lot of Oliver this episode. We we got a fair amount, but again, it was oh, we kind got of, a lot of Oliver. We got a lot of Oliver. No, I mean like but, the shower scene. We no, got yeah, we did. <laughs> no, we didn't get that much. Uh, but but the grand scheme of things, though, though, I think we we knew that he's basically laying low, yeah. and then by the end of the episode, he's like, nope, not not dealing with any crap from anybody. Uh, while I'm in in the house, yeah, this was a great episode. And it was it was it was well acted across the board from all the characters. Yeah, it was a great episode that really, while showing the current situation that Oliver was in, 
uh, really put a good spotlight on all the other characters. And honestly, though, too, all the classic characters that we're so used to on the show, only one of them donning their personas of a previous vigilante by the end of the episode. And that's Renee. And that's Renee. And he's back to the classic wild dog suit. And I'm so happy about that. Yeah. Now, my final question to you before we move on to that, the twist of the story uh, and what that means for the future of the show. Do you think Renee who knows who the new hood is or is he just helping without really caring who it is? I think he knows who that hood is. Okay. By the end of the episode, I think he does. Because we, do, we don't. Because he's given money by this guy. This This hood is basically a Robin Hood. Of sorts. And I kind of love that idea. Yeah. I really think that's we find cool. out that a bunch of local businesses have gotten some money back. And Renee has the money to buy new bags and upgrade the equipment at his gym. I think... I think... Uh, you think he knows who he is? He knows who he is. Okay. And I think we're that's going to unveil in a couple episodes. All right. Uh, mid-season finale. Yeah. Okay. I think that's our I think that kind of puts a, a dampener on Dinah being the arrow. I think so. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I'm curious to see how it's going to play out. But let's get to the big twist of this uh, season premiere. Yes. uh, And that being the change to the formats in uh, they are living to their word and that we are not getting flashbacks any longer on the show. Welcome Uh, to Lost, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yes. Welcome to the world of flash forwards. Uh, And that being we got some glimpses early on in the episode of Will, uh, well, who we didn't know who it was at first. Going to back to Lian Yu on a boat, and uh, we don't know for what reason, but when he gets there, we do see the gravesite of uh, Oliver's father, Robert Queen. Robert Queen, yeah. Uh, there are other graves there, but you can't really make out the names of who they are at that point, right? Right. Um, but by the end of the episode, we find out that Ben uh, Whitless, the actor. Who we saw quite a bit about uh, this episode. Yes. Um, We found out something very interesting and very unexpectedly uh, because nobody knew that we were getting a flash forward. But we found out that this is uh, William. William Older. Quite a a many years older. Yes. Um, My guess about maybe 20 years older. Do we think it's that much? Because William at this point is maybe 12 12, 13 years 12, old. 12, 13. And this guy looks relatively younger, maybe like 23, 24. I'm, I'm going to say maybe this is 12 to 13 years later, Max. At least. Yeah. But. I think really, Max, actually. The, well, uh, it's, it's a big wait and see. The, the guy could be in his 30s, so. He, he looks right. like he could very well be in his 30s. Yeah. The reason I say this, though, is because uh, at the end of the episode, the person that calls him William and kind of unveils that is somebody else that's donning a hood, but not a green one, but a red one. Yes. And we see none other than Arsenal, a.k.a. Roy Harper, a.k.a. actor Colton Haynes, pull back the hood to see a much, much older, graying yeah. Arsenal. And and Stephen had even come out and said that, the, and Colton had said it at the same time, too, that the way he's introduced into this season was something people would not expect. And he was right. We did not expect well, flash forwards. It makes me kind of smile a little bit now because we kept saying, hey, look, look, Colton Haynes is playing Colton Haynes. If it's from <laughs> Earth One, big surprise. Actually, yes, it yeah. was a big surprise. Congratulations, Arrow. You guys really throw us for, threw us he's, for a loop he's on this. Playing, he, he's playing the character we thought he was going to be playing, but in a completely different way that we did and, not expect. Uh, kudos to them. I think this was a great twist and great move. We found out that Ben Willis, the actor playing an older version of William, is going to be playing this character 
character until the show's end. Yeah. Not just this season. He's not a season regular, series regular. They said the flash forwards will continue until the show's end. Which is going to be... I don't know how they're going to handle that, but it's it's going to be interesting. Now, I wonder if that means that we're only going to be seeing Colton uh, playing Arsenal in the flash forwards. And we're never actually going to see him in current You know what? That actually might work out okay because it still makes us give us and gives us that version of maybe him and Thea had a happy ever after. Very true. To a certain point. Yeah. I I appreciate that. Yeah. That could be a good way to to do it. Um, Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see as this show moves forward what they're... uh, what they're going to do with it. But I'm, I'm excited. Super strong start to yeah. this season. And I have a feeling we're in for a new season five. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, hopefully this is another season five uh, situation we're going to do. So congrats to Arrow on uh, surprising us in a big, bad way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Flash. Final one for the uh, for the show discussion. And that being Flash season five, episode two, uh, titled Blocked. Barry and Team Flash track a meta that is stealing high-tech weapons only to cross paths with a new foe named Cicada, who is hunting the very same meta with nefarious intent. Yeah. Um, you know, we mentioned it last week that we got introduced to the Big Bad right away, uh, which you had brought up that we we did get that with the, our, the Thinker our, our last app. year. Yes, yes. But I think this is the earliest we've gotten that the Flash has come face-to-face yes. with the Big Bad this very, early Very, very, very surprising. And... Um, Man, oh man, did uh, Cicada kind of give them a run for their money? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we we get the the introduction, uh, another introduction of Cicada, and um, God, my mind is blanking. But did we actually get to see Chris Klein this we time did. around? Too? We see him unmasked. We see him unmasked. Yes. Um, we see him basically kind of like a um, kind of a, a work site. Where we see him in a locker room and somebody else is talking to him. It's like, oh, yeah, That's hey, right. did you get in a yeah. fight last night? Yeah, another one. Um, but we see him put the mask away, but he hides that. Um, but what was, there were some other really interesting pieces of this. And we're, let's just bring this up now because I think it's really incredibly important. Um, we get a lot more of Nora Allen again this year. Uh, and one of the things I really applaud them for is they don't hold back. Um, the very, very first opening scene we see in this episode is Barry and, and Nora unveiling the fact that Excess is from the future. And she's not stuck there. And is not stuck there. And yeah. she says to Team Flash, hey, this is what's going on. This is why. Here's the newspaper. I really appreciate the fact that Flash never holds back and tries to do that to us where you're like... Hey, let's add add an extra drama with the team. Where these characters know something a little bit more. They got right to it, and I really appreciate the fact that they did that. We're not going to watch some kind of BS, kind of super. I hate to say it, supernatural kind of drama, kind of get drug <laughs> yeah. out through multiple episodes. Because again, supernatural and plenty of other CW shows do like to drag out the drama a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but they said, "Boom! Here you guys go. This is exactly where we are." This is what we're dealing with. This is what we're up against. And I really appreciate that. We got it out of the way. And it was the very first scene of this episode. And not only that, but I mean, in that scene as well, we do get the the moment where Iris kind of stands up and she's like, so what? You know, we've dealt with things in the past before. We've changed them. When these things come up, we'll handle them as they happen. You know what it was? It was, it was, I I love going back to it because it was another old CW show, Buffy the Vampire yes, Slayer. exactly. And it was kind of like, hey, I died twice. Yep. Um, and it's kind of like, it's fine. We can 
deal with whatever's thrown at us. And I really appreciated that of the show. It wasn't kind of like, oh, let's make this a melodramatic sequence or anything like that. They addressed it and said, look, there's nothing we can do that, like, that we can't overcome. Yeah. Nothing can be thrown at us that we can't deal with. And I really appreciated it because the audience know this, knows all of this already. And uh, I'm excited about how this is going to unfold. But at the same time, you know, we we also got, um, I, I think, the, the whole opening scene of Barry and uh, Nora being as open as they were, I think has kind of changed things already. Um, you know, it, we know that every little thing they do at this point could change the potential future. And there are two kind of notes that happen in this episode that might indicate that things are already changing for the potential future. Uh, one of them is the fact that when Cicada is revealed and Nora does find out that Cicada is there, she seems genuinely surprised. Right. Um, almost as if things are kind of out of place. But not just her. Cicada seems generally surprised that excess is in that timeline. So it's almost as if this is something that was supposed to happen later in the timeline, closer to Nora's timeline, not as soon as it happened. So something has already kind of thrown things out of whack and they're having to face Cicada earlier than they should have done already. Right. The other thing is the fact that when when they are talking, when Nora and Barry are sharing other moments, Nora does not know and seems genuinely, genuinely surprised to find out that her father was at some point in prison. So could this be that certain things are being erased or that certain things are just not making it that far. The new 52 versus DC Rebirth versus the old 52. Which brings us to something we were talking about last week in the potential of a crisis. Yes. The crisis could change history. Right. And so we may find out as soon as this season or as late as next year. But I think Ben and I both are in agreement. A crisis, a crisis is, is coming. coming. Yep. Exactly. Um, Those red skies are looming large and, and, and are looming soon. And yes, we, we did find out that, you know, in the year 2025, Flash disappears from a crisis. However, in the comic books, there have been multiple crises. Yeah. So there could be this big crisis that happens with everyone uh, that affects certain things happening that changes the history. And then we could get that secondary crisis or potentially everything that is happening now if things are indeed changing because of Nora being there and things are happening earlier in the timeline than they should, that eventually something is going to happen that is going to shift this major crisis that happens in 2025 to an earlier date, potentially 2019. Or even actually as soon as 2018. Yeah. It's very interesting because we don't know what's going to happen at the crossover. Um, but if there's no kind of crisis that happens at the crossover... Next year's crossover, if the writing is done right, could be Crisis on Infinite Earth. And let's be honest, if you're an executive at CW and you're a DC fan... You want to make this happen as quickly as possible. And here's the thing. If you're going to put that much effort as what we read to you guys last week in our episode when we talked about The Flash and said, Hey guys, by the way, somebody found... That great, beautiful shot of the newspaper from 2049 said, here's the article, and I read it to you all. Uh-huh. We've we read it other times was, outside of the podcast recording. That was very specific. Yes. Um, they have plans. They have plans. They but plans. if they're going to call this year Elseworlds, let's be honest. You're going to call it Elseworlds because it's Elseworlds. 
And we'll get to that in the news. Yeah. Because there's good reasons to call it Elseworlds yes. now. But here's the other thing. The monitor. Not even just the monitor. Okay. But if you have a crossover that's going to be Crisis on Infinite Earths, you're going to lean hard, hard into the beginning of your season and say, hey guys, by the way, crossover this year, Crisis on Infinite Earths. You're going to get a lot of DC fans tuning in. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And you're not, you're not going to hide back on that. And, but I also think if you're so. going to do Crisis on Infinite Earths, do you think it would be, er, do you think you would have to do it early in the season or would it have to be later in the year? As no, in like into the next year? No, it's going to be mid season. It's okay. going to be like plain old, simple, normal. Hey, it's crossover time. By the way, guys, we're, we're doing the story that you guys all expect. But how would you handle that with the Flash, though? If the Flash is supposed to disappear in the crisis, how would you do that? Same way that you have to deal with the fact that your lead star of Supergirl is another casualty of Crisis on Infinite Earth. True. Okay. Um, and you say, how do we get around this problem? And okay. you, again, have Infinite Earths. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and you have a Kid Flash. You've got a you've got excess now. You've got all these characters that can take on this mantle. You now have a new Supergirl that can fill that role of Kara. You have all these things. The the chess pieces are laid out this year or next year. It's just a matter of positioning them into the right places. Exactly. Okay. And all all bets are off. Yeah. Oh God, man. All right. The future of these shows is... Stephen very- Amell can be Supergirl. <laughs> Thank you so much, Boss Live. Thank you. I was just going to say, you beat me to that. Uh, all right, let's get back to right. the, the actual Flash. Um, I have to say, it's only been episode two, and I am such a huge fan and kind of have a major crush on Jessica Parker Kennedy as Nora Allen. I think she is doing a phenomenal job portraying this role. She's absolutely adorable when it comes to playing this. And she and, plays it properly that way. Um, she plays it properly, but I, I will say this. I love the fact that she's like, look, I'm a confident person. I'm a confident hero. And I love her response to that completely. When she states that thing is to run around the speed lab... Multiple rat laps, <laughs> and then it's like, look, I can do other things. I can throw a lightning bolt. I can throw a lightning bolt. And she throws her lightning bolt and trips, <laughs> which ricochets through the speed lab and almost kills Barry Allen. Yes. And I loved that so much. Yeah. I really, really adored the, um, the little uh, you know, idiosyncrasies about her character. It works perfectly for who she is. And I think it makes the audience really latch onto her and really adore her and love her for the character she is. Yeah. And again, and we also see, too, in this episode, that continued growth of resentment between her and Iris. It played off very, very heavy mm-hmm. in this episode. Like, if episode one was, hey, it's very much in your face, this was like a brick being thrown at your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a brick of resentment um, slapping you yeah, across the cheek. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And I apologize if I'm like sounding very tired, because I am. Because <laughs> uh, right. it's 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, so, that's all right. uh, I'm very, very, very tired. I know, I can see you so, getting there a little bit too. Um, so you mentioned a little bit too about the, uh, getting some wonderful moments of Cisco. Yeah, this time too, and we're we're still seeing him getting over the loss of breaking up with Gypsy, uh, and who's uh, Cynthia, <laughs> and who steps up to the plate to try and help him with it? None other than Ralph Dibney and the twenty-seven steps of, be- of being Ralph. Step one: cage diving with sharks. 
<laughs> and I think what is it? Step like step nine is positive affirmations. Like why? No, step you... two is positive. Was it step two? Affirmations. Okay. Yeah. But I love the fact that it was step twenty-seven. She's not with you anymore. <laughs> that means she's not your dream girl. And I why love the you fact that start like, with that. It's just it's, yeah. It was just the beautiful, beautiful. Reminder from our our wonderful cast that we love so much in the show. Yeah, but we get those moments of like, hey, you you swung in the bat twenty six times, and at least on the twenty seventh one, you hit the ball. Yeah, but uh, you know, we get the moments of like Ralph bringing in his personal uh, groomer, and uh, we get the the moments of like Cisco being dressed to the nines with his hair pulled back. And I thought for a second they were legitimately going to give him a haircut. And then we get that moment where he's like, if you touch my hair, you die. I still love uh, <laughs> that Cisco showing up at CC Jitters to see Caitlin. It's kind of like, she's like, hey, still looking good. And he's just kind of like, I pretty, I'm pretty sure that Bruce burned all my old clothing. <laughs> so he's stuck in those clothes. And I, I loved what they did with there. Because I love seeing kind of this morose version of Cisco. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. Very and, down in the dumps. And, and Carlos Valdez, I think, did a great job having fun playing with that idea, that character. We got to see him as drunk, depressed Cisco yes. last week. And this week, he, the drunk is gone, but he's still depressed. Cisco. But we do kind of see him come out of the funk by and the end. I really, I really appreciated that. And I think they do, did a really good job. And I really like what they've been doing with Ralph so far this season. I love what they're doing with Ralph so far this um, season. Because they're making a very competent character. Yes. He, he's Because uh, I expected, he's like, I know what to do. And I'm like, oh, great. We're going to go to the strip club. And I'm like, oh, Ralph's actually got a plan. And right. I, I really appreciated that. And not only that, but we do finally, for the first time this season, even though it's only episode two, we get to see Ralph suit up as in Long-Headed Man. Yeah, we don't get to see any powers, but that's because Excess and Barry have pretty much right. solved the situation with Block uh, before they even get there. But that means they haven't forgotten the fact that he's a hero. Yes, and that's important. Yeah, I think it's very important for her, the primer of the season. Yeah. Now we so. did going back to Cicada for a second, though. We did see, in fact, that one of Cicada's abilities is the fact that now do we is Cicada a meta himself, or is this just those those bolts that he has that he is a meta okay uh we know he's a meta uh, at least in comic book standards we know he's a meta uh we know he was also struck by a bolt, bolt of lightning and where his powers come from is the fact that he's can he can siphon powers and it looks like it's only temporary for the time well it's gonna purely depend on how they choose to um portray it that character this year. Because we do so. see that Vibe in the next scene has his abilities Well, back. it's the question of, is it temporary? That they there's a loss of power? Or does that power that he second build up in him kind of the way that DeVoe had some, something else to pull from? Mm-hmm. So it's a question of how they choose to portray this. Because, again, we only saw Cicada for a little bit. We, we didn't peel back too many layers on his character. But what we did see is uh, Cicada was a character that... Team Flash has to be very, you know, afraid of. Yeah. Because, again, you mentioned we saw, you know, in the Elongated Man and we see Vibe <laughs> suit up and join the fray. But once they're there, their powers are pretty much inert. They can't yes. do anything with them. Um, the only person that's not affected is Excess because she was not in the vicinity once a kid shows up. Yes. Yeah. So... So when she comes back, yeah, she she uh, she still has her abilities, right? So now you're right because the only person we saw actually use their abilities after that moment was Vibe. But I guess that's to kind of lead us to 
believe that this was only a temporary case. Right. Everybody has their abilities back by the end of the episode. Right. Yeah. Basically, what, what it sounds like so far that what Team Flash knows and what the audience knows is that Cicada can siphon off dark matter mm-hmm. and maybe even the Speed Force. That's all we know at this point in time. Yeah. But we don't know to what extent. Exactly. So we're going to see that play out, I think, over the next couple of weeks very soon. But I was very surprised to see the fact that Flash was not afraid to say, hey, here's our big bad. This is what he's able to do. And uh, they're going to have to go up against him early on. So this makes me kind of question a little bit. Um, okay. Do you think we're going to see this character be a, kind of like a Dr. Alchemy? Where we're going to see this character be the big um, villain they're going to go up against until mid-season? And then we're going to see a new villain. You think we're going to be a, see a bigger bad by the end of the, by the midseason? Well, that's kind of what I'm questioning because, like I said, that same time when we saw Doctor Alchemy, that was not a big bad. That's true. Um, I don't know. Do you think the Flash would do that to us twice? I mean, it has been. It gave us two speedster villains, uh, two seasons back to back. So yeah, very possible. Um, I would be very intrigued if they did that as to who the actual big bad would be because I have no ideas at this point. I'm I'm still relatively in the dark with Cicada. There's very little. I yeah. do know enough about him yeah. to know he's a formidable foe. Right. But and I don't know enough about normally him. Normally when we see Cicada in the comic book series, uh, he's a much older individual. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that we see... We're getting a younger version of this character. That we're getting a young version of this character. And what's very surprising is that Cicada is a character that XS very much knows. Yeah. Because uh, he has an opportunity to kill Barry in this episode, and he doesn't the moment he sees excess. Well, yeah, because yeah, and it's I, I think I think that's more because of the fact what we know of Cicada is the fact that his wife and daughter were killed, right? And that's one of the reasons his motivations for doing what he's doing. And I think when in that scene where Norris yells "Dad" to Barry, I think it's kind of a click in his head, and that like you know my daughter was taken from me. Do I really want to do this in front of his daughter? Right. So I, I think that's kind of where that stands a little bit. Well, I could be wrong. Uh, my brain's still telling me that she knows him in the future. And oh, I'm not. I'm not denying that at all. And I, I think, think that's, that's a big, possibly the case. Big, big piece of the equation. Yeah. So, um, and part of that question is now though too because you know excess doesn't exist yet. Nora doesn't exist in that timeline. And if he kills Barry now... Nora will never exist. And is that tie into Cicada's future? So if he kills Barry now, is that a problem for him existing in the future? Well, that's a good point. So a lot to unpack. Yeah. There's quite a bit to unpack. Again, time travel is a fun, fickle bitch. (laughs) Yes, it is. uh, But yeah, I think they did a great job, though. Uh, in this episode alone. But, you know, there was a piece that we missed last week. Uh, and we mentioned a specific character name. And well, I, I was going to remember, but I, was I know you pulled it up. I was going to get into that. There's actually three things that we missed last week. Um, and we'll, we'll wrap up the discussion on the flash with them. Uh, the first one is the name Cameron Mockett, which was the person who signed the death certificate for, um, uh, for Caitlin's father. We didn't know at the time who Cameron Mockett was, and that's because I did not have the spelling of the name right. Cameron Mockett is indeed a character in the DC Universe. He is, in fact, Icicle, who is a super villain, who we're finding out is most likely Caitlyn's father. 
Right. Because he does have the, the ice powers and such, just as Caitlyn does. Yeah. Uh, he was a character we previously seen in things like uh, Young Justice. Actually, in the very start of Young Justice. Yes, that's one. right. Because uh, we saw Mr. Freeze and Icicle team Teaming up. up. Uh, which was a huge, huge proponent of the start of that season. So Yeah. Uh, the other two things that we have is, real quick mentions, uh, we did hear in the season premiere that, uh, excuse me, um, Nora does when it comes to them trying to find the name, Gridlock's real name. Uh, Kate, uh, Nora says, Mr. Miles, the curator, he scrubbed all the names for legal reasons. And we were wondering who Mr. Miles was and could he be a potential version of, um, of Wells. Yeah. Uh, he is not. Dexter Miles is actually the curator of the Flash Museum, can actually be seen back in season one, episode four. He is the curator. Uh, at the time, uh, he is the curator of the Central City Museum uh, because we are introduced to him in the episode where Captain Cold is trying to steal a diamond from the city. Ah, from the, the conduct diamond. Yes. Yes. So Mr. Miles yeah. already exists in this universe. He is potentially probably just older at this point. Right. And is also a curator of the Flash Museum. At Which the is time. pretty cool. Yes. The last one is another kind of major DC one, uh, DC now that we missed. And that is in the whole story of the ice cream cone and where they used to go for uh, when they used to go to Happy, Happy Harbor. Harbor. Uh, Happy Harbor is indeed the location of Mount Justice. It is. In the DC Universe. Which was Mount Justice, the original location of the Justice League, which was later taken over by Young Justice yes. in that animated series. So really cool. Nice connections and ties. So, uh... Pretty cool things. And i got to bring this up to um, one of our loyal listeners and good friends, Shad Welsh. Yes. Um, forgot he, about this. He wanted us to make sure we brought up the fact that shway, <laughs> that term, is not just a random just piece of vernacular for the future, but it's also brought up in Batman Beyond, which, yes, I do remember, Shad. Thank you so much. <laughs> but I want to remind all of you, if you don't remember Batman Beyond... Uh, yes, Shway is a term because we hear Dana, Terry's um, future wife, yes. that we see by the time of epilogue running around in uh, Batman, well, not Batman Beyond, but uh, Justice League Unlimited. We see the epilogue episode when and we find out that they actually get married. Um, <laughs> but that is brought up. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And it's so funny, too, because when I did see that comment, I didn't get an opportunity to reply to it. I know you did. And, um, you know, when he said, you guys know, I, I, I didn't – I've seen Batman Beyond, but I didn't remember Shway being a part of it. And the moment that Shad was the one that commented on it and said, hey, do you guys know where, where Shway is from? I was like, it's got to be Batman Beyond. Like, because he talks about Batman Beyond and his love for it's Batman It's an amazing Beyond show. All the time. And oh, yes, I loved it. And yes, Shad, we did not do our Batman Beyond episode yet. <laughs> and yes, when we, we do it, you're going to be the one that has that show. But if you want to do that show, you have to actually give some money to Extra Life and actually get a chance to do that episode and I'm all that jazz. That. So, okay. but anyway... Um, three gate, yeah. Uh, but no, beautifully done though. Like yeah. this episode was was greatly done. But one of the things that actually made me think a little bit more, um, was actually Arrow. Is do you think Excess knows who William is? Huh. Um. Do you think we actually have a future version of the league? And you know, and that got me thinking about that as well, especially because of the potential for a crisis happening a little bit later on. We're we're seeing. 
Nora coming from the future into the present, and now we're getting flash forwards on Arrow of the future itself. These could all be very early seeds to this potential crisis that right. we're going to get. And that's with. why I bring this up is, do you think an Arrow, because we know these flash forwards, as Beth Schwartz has stated, is going to continue until that show ends? Yeah. Do you think we're going to see excess in those flash forwards? Are you, do you think we're going to see that crisis mentioned? I'm pretty sure we are. I think we will. Yeah, yeah I, I really think we do. I think we will. Uh, and, and think about even going back to Legends of Tomorrow, like years ago, when in season one, when we saw that flash forward with Oliver missing his arm, and we saw yeah. that version of uh, Deathstroke's uh, son. Well, Diggle's son well, becoming well, the Green Arrow. We saw, yeah, Connor Hawk, yeah. and we saw Ollie missing an arm, and all these things that kick back to things like Batman, Dark Knight Returns, yeah. and things like that. Um, if they're going to come to pass, and I think I think we're not far off. No. I think we're going to see this whole thing unfold soon. Yeah, I agree with you too. Um, but yeah, awesome, awesome other episode of the Flash, though. and and just awesome episodes all together this week yeah. of Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. All right, uh, fantastic. Let's um, get to the news. Let's get to the news because yeah. it's uh, getting close to four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we don't have a ton to talk about. There's actually very little to talk about, which is awesome. Um, but uh, one of the things we want to remind everybody of is there's no new episodes of The Flash or Black Lightning because that's Election Day. Well, that's not for two weeks. Yes, well, yeah. that's coming up, but we just want to remind everybody. On Election Day, yeah, there won't be any new Day, episodes. Of no the new episodes yeah. because, again, the news cycle is going to be busy. Yeah, they're going to be uh, covering the election all night. So that's what um, – they'll, they'll probably play reruns. But because um, CW, I don't think does any live news coverage. But no, they'll, no, they uh, don't. But they'll do reruns just because they're not going to want to fight the ratings against the news. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Elseworlds because the other big story is much bigger than even Elseworlds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we got our first promo poster of Elseworlds, and we saw Barry Allen as Green Arrow. <laughs> And good old Oliver Queen as the fastest man alive, the Flash. And I, my first question, the first time I saw it, because I saw it posted by somebody else, I didn't see it on any news site immediately, was, is this fan made? No. Because we've seen from Boss Logic that you could do some very well, some very well done fan But again, no, this is the official poster it, of it Elseworlds. It fits in there perfectly for Elseworlds. Yes. Um, one of the favorite, uh, favorite Elseworlds uh, specials was uh, Speeding Bullets, which was what if, uh, you know, Clark Kent's ship landed in Gotham City That's and became right. Batman. Yeah. And then by the end of that episode... That's one of my favorites, too. I have that trade still to this day. Yeah. And the end of that episode, uh, not episode, but issue... Uh, was him becoming Superman in Gotham City, which yeah. is really beautifully done. Well, um, let's, on the note real quick of Superman 2, let's not forget another image that was released this week, and that is Superman in a black suit during the filming of Elseworlds. Yes. So um, another not even change. That. Not even that. We also saw that Amel and uh, Grant Gustin yes. were dressed as Trigger Twins. Yes. Uh, which have been both heroes and villains in the DC Universe. So we're going to see, I think, a lot more than just classic Quick shots of them as alternate versions of themselves in different cities. But I think we're going to see quite a bit of old school DC lore brought up into this episode. Yeah, I think this is going to be... Like, I don't think this is Amel and Gustin as the Trigger Twins and also Green Arrow and The Flash. I think we're going to see, mul as you mentioned, multiple versions of all of these characters in Elseworlds. Yeah. I think we'll see one version... 
where like Steven and Grant are playing themselves, where Steven is the arrow and Grant is the flash. We'll see a version where the roles are reversed and we'll see a version of them as the trigger twins. We might see versions where they're not anyone at all. Right. They're I just it's normal, a, normal people. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the Trigger Twins one. Okay. Yeah. So. It's it's going to be interesting to see where they're going to go with this crossover. Because I'm already seeing things in production posters and production stills of things I was not expecting. And Steven has even... Now, he has said this every year. And every year it's turned out to be true that he has said that this this crossover is going to be the best one they have done yet. Yeah. He said it every year, and every year he's been right. So, uh, But you know what? The funny thing is, though, again, like you bring up Tyler Hoechlin in the black suit, Superman suit, yeah. and I'm like, does that mean Doomsday's been there and all these things? But, like, one of the other things that makes us now wonder even a little bit more is everybody made a huge to-do about the fact that Jensen Eccles was on the set of Arrow. Which did, the, yeah. the crossover, and he's like, no, 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 he's there to hang out. But everybody's like... Is it, though? Because Jensen Eccles has been very wanted to play both Batman, but not just Batman, but also he previously played Jason Todd, a.k.a. the Red Hood, in Batman Under the Hood. Yeah. Um, and there was a shot months and months and months ago of him sitting in his dressing room next to a Jason Todd costume with a helmet. So everybody's now wondering more and more and more, are we going to see a lot more in this crossover? So and I think anything is humanly possible. I honestly, I would I would have loved to have seen it if at some point, like if they, if these characters are jumping from world to world to world, and that's what these else worlds are, I would have loved to have seen at some point while they're jumping from one world. Terry Hatcher one, and Dean Cain. Terry Hatcher and Dean Cain would be fantastic. But I was thinking more of like they just happened to walk past Jensen and Jared on the street. And that is our supernatural DC crossover that we're... I still would not be surprised if there's a cameo. From Jensen? Yeah. Uh, there. Dude, I love Jensen. I would love to see it, too. Yeah. I would love to see it. I think it's very possible. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's still a mystery what they're doing with this crossover. But, man, I get more and more excited with everything I see. All right. Well, let's talk about the huge, huge, huge <laughs> news story this week. Um, and that is the fact that we found out officially... Lex Luthor is coming to Supergirl because it was only a matter of time. Of course. We knew it had to happen eventually. Well, you know what it is? It's it's the racial goal of it all. Yeah. It's we found out um years ago, back in season two of Arrow, and they even said the producers and even Steven said this, that you bring up a name enough times that eventually they have to say yes. Yeah. And they eventually gave us Rachel Ghoul, so I'm not surprised that eventually they're gonna give we us. We eventually got Superman. And we got Superman and we, we have Lex Luthor coming though. How amazing is yeah. that? But one of the coolest things is oh, I hope it happens. There's there's it's two really big good. rumors is that Michael Rosenbaum is coming back to play Lex because previously because again, you shave your head and you can look like any age you want. But and, and Rosenbaum has even said he would come back to to reprise that role. Right, but yeah. not even that. But there's been rumors that Tom Welling is the other person potentially up for the role to play Lex Luthor. And I think that would be brilliant. Yes. I really do. I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the two of them. Yeah. And I, I think it's the right move. I, I do too. Absolutely I, the right move. Welling playing that role would, one, just be a fun nod to Smallville in that he was once Clark Kent and now he's Lex Luthor. But I honestly think, especially after seeing him playing Kane in Lucifer, 
he would pull it off. It's not unheard of, I think, for CW, especially for what they've done with the DC shows so far, that they would make a move like this that, to nod back some some previous actors that have played this role. Yeah, the only concern I could see with Tom Welling playing the part is um, he, you know, he mentioned when we interviewed him for the 100th episode, one of his main attractions to coming back to doing Lucifer was the fact that Lucifer shot in L.A., which is where he lived, so he didn't have to travel very far. Now. Vancouver's not very far from LA. It's maybe a three, two or three hour flight, I think. Right. It's right up the coast, right up the West Coast. So it's very potentially done, especially if it's only a couple episode arc. Yeah. Um, so if it's only like a two or three episode of arc of Lex, very possible he could do it. However, that arc could turn into something more next season. So it's whether or not he's willing to make that commitment. Right. And it's the question of how many episodes is this character going to be in, in the show. Because, again, we've only yeah. seen Tyler as the role of Clark Kent and Superman. Uh, four episodes, five episodes total since he's been introduced. So, hey, um, it could just be a simple, like, simple, like one episode yeah. so but still it's a, it, it's very exciting to see that Lex is finally getting introduced in the mix all I know is if it does happen and Tom Welling does become Lex Luthor I want to see one production shot next year of Tom Welling Tyler Hoechlin and Brandon Ralph all in the same photo together absolutely <laughs> I'm right there with you alright so uh, wrapping up um, second to last for our news this week is apparently the rumored runtime for Aquaman the movie has been revealed. Sounds like it sounds like the movie is going to be two hours and twenty minutes, which sounds pretty much. I think spot that's on. I think that's what superhero movies should be about at this time. I think two hours to that two two and a half hour time slot. I think is is what we should be getting from superhero movies at this point. Right. And uh, last but not least, though, uh, this week we also found out another rumor, again, take with a grain of salt, <laughs> is that uh, WB Montreal is hard at work on not just one, but two DC-related video games. Um, I would Open not, world video games. Open world yeah. games, too, with that. Uh, I would not be surprised if this is a new... You know, Arkham game. There's been rumors that that's what Rocksteady was working on, which is a new Arkham game. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually think, actually, what this is, is not that specifically, but the fact that Rocksteady is actually working on that rumored Justice League game. We're going to see the fact that WB Montreal is working on two games. One of them is that Harry Potter game that got leaked a couple weeks back. Which um, I would love to see. Which looked really good. Yeah. If anybody's seen that footage, it's already been stricken down and removed. Yeah, all that content. from every source um, that you can and find it. At the request of Warner Brothers, so that's a pretty proof-positive sign. Yeah. Um, but that other sign is most likely if they did split into two teams, that other team is probably working on that Suicide Squad game that we talked about a couple weeks back. Uh, not cool a couple well. weeks back, but I think it was a few uh, few months back. Yeah, that could be um, cool as well. So, would not be shocked. So, uh, big wait and see. But the other rumor, instead of a Suicide Squad game, would be Batman Arkham Universe is the other one, which would not be a shock. Because, again, Warner Brothers Montreal was a studio behind doing Batman Arkham Origins, which was a very underrated game. Yeah. And also brought in that whole idea of doing the uh, detective mode. 
um, where you actually piece together the crimes, which we did see in Arkham Knight and also in Batman Arkham uh, VR. Can I just say real quick? Well, we'll get there. We'll <laughs> right. get there. All right. But that actually wraps up the news, so I'm going to well, actually turn it over to... Well, there's actually one more news story okay, that we ahead. did kind of forget, and I'm not going to go too much into detail about this, because as of right now, again, like Michael Rosenbaum playing Lex Luthor, it is still speculation. It is still purely rumor, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, we did see something come out on Cinema Blend that CW is potentially working on a Superman mm. spinoff. And as of today, officially, that rumor has been debunked. Okay, good. <laughs> um, Get actually, my hopes up and crush my dreams. So, But it's good that you bring it up because we did post it on the page. Um, so, But we just want to let everybody know that well, as of today, 10-20-2018, that has been 100% debunked by six different sources okay. officially. I mean, we, we did put the disclaimer, take this, it with is a grain of salt. purely rumor. But yeah. again, we have found out officially there is no Tyler Hoechlin CW-related Superman series in the works. Because the uh, quote-unquote, what they did state internally is having Superman involved right now would overshadow a Supergirl show completely. Which and is I can see why that. that's not going to happen and anytime I soon. They yeah. said... It's not to write off his character for any time in the future, but they said at this time there is no project whatsoever involved, but we're excited and looking forward to seeing him in Elseworlds. Okay, I can see that. Uh, yeah, but uh, back to what you had mentioned before, you um, introduced me to Batman VR. Um, is it Arkham? Arkham VR. Yeah, Arkham VR. Uh, tonight, at the party, as a matter of fact. My first opportunity, not only playing Bat- uh, Arkham VR, but... Uh, Really playing, getting involved in VR. Playing VR. For, for Like, I've done the whole Samsung VR things before, and they're nothing compared to this PlayStation VR, which um, I'm, I was never big on the VR thing. I thought it was kind of a fad. I never really thought about buying a VR system or anything. This made you a believer, didn't Oh, it? my God. After playing Batman v- Arkham VR, I'm almost willing to invest in a VR system just to play this game. This game, I like. I literally, I took the headset off, which took a lot because I wanted to keep going. Uh, and I literally, I walked up to a group of people who were still here at the party, and the words out of my mouth were, "I was Batman." <laughs> like it was so much fun being able to throw batarangs and play with the gat, the Gatling gun, and uh, not Gatling gun, the grappling hook. Gatling gun is completely different. Um, it's not Tim Burton we're talking about, yeah, or and, Zack Snyder, and the and the you know, the, the the crime scene uh, analyzer, Forensics yeah, and, yeah. Oh my god, it was like I'm still like on such a high of playing it, and no lie, tomorrow I might be pricing VR systems. <laughs> That's not bad. It's really not. Uh, they do a really great job of uh, of that, and you were not the first person tonight that I actually got to introduce to VR. No, uh, no, no. my good friend Pete, who actually is going to be joining us at Extra Life this year for his first year, um, he he is a diehard Star Wars fan. Um, he is actually a writer that has participated in writing for West End Games version of the tabletop of Star Wars. Uh, he's also written for White Wolf uh, role-playing games. Uh, he is the writer and the author of the Changeling uh, tabletop rule set. Uh, he is a very prolific writer when it comes to gaming, especially for tabletop and LARPing. Um, and he is a huge, huge Star Wars fan. And it was fun watching him. And that's <laughs> what got you interested into 
saying, hey, I want to try it. And yeah. I was like, I know exactly what I want you to try. But you got to watch him pilot an X-Wing. Yeah. And, um, and it, it was it was funny because it, I like you had me try one game, which was called Headmaster. Right. Um, it's something simple. But I, I wanted you to kind of get your feet wet. And then, you just, and, you, and then you just kind of threw it at me, and you were like, wait a minute. I want uh, you to stand I, up. I, I want you to stand up. I want you to try this. And you put the, the, the wands in my hand. The move controllers. Yep. Yeah. You put it in my hand, and you were like, no, no, I promise you, you are going to like this. You didn't tell me what it was, but the moment I saw that what it was and that it was Arkham, like I turned into like a, a six-year-old kid, funny enough, wearing onesie pajamas already tonight. And, like, even some of our friends are like, it, it's so fun watching you play VR, playing Batman in onesie pajamas. Like, it's, you're literally a kid right now. And I was. And the game is fantastic, and I'm seriously considering investing in, in VR because of that. Um, Sony's been doing an amazing job, and um, there there was actually apparently a, a game that just released. And I have a demo of it. I haven't gotten an opportunity to play yet. It's already on my hard drive. Uh, which is called um, PlayStation Astrobot Rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody said it is that is the game that makes you say, oh, this is the killer app. This is the one that everybody's been waiting for. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's essentially, from what I understand, it is what Mario 64 was to the next evolution of gaming. Okay. Because everybody was so used to 2D platforming and say, hey, here's this. And then they said, oh, here's Mario 64. This is... This is walking around a world in 3D. Yeah. Apparently, uh, the Astrobot Rescue is, hey, here's that platforming 3D game. The camera's static. By the way, all those hidden objectives that you think you need to find, you, the person that's the camera of this game, need to look for them. They're below you and above you <laughs> and behind that rock that that's there in the background. Because you actually have to move your body around. So you actually have to physically move around for this. You need to move around and see him and find them. But they said it changes everything. Because one of the things I'm sure you realize too, uh, the question I have for you is, what is it like looking at something at scale? Dude, (laughs) there's one moment that like you, I I was standing on a rooftop of a building in Gotham. I'm sorry for this. (laughs) I feel like a dick. But. No, don't be, because it was fantastic. And it shows the realism of the game and that you even told me I'm wearing a headset. Now, granted, I'm on a flat floor. There's nothing in front of me. Yeah, headphones on. on. I had headphones on. They can lightly hear me. And you could see, everybody in the room could see what I was seeing, because that's the way it is. It projects it on the TV, but I get the full effect of it. And I'm standing on a building, and you're like, well, step up to the ledge and look down. And I do. Like, I step up and I look down. And it shouldn't have scared me at all, but you literally kind of like... You your hands kind of sweat a little bit, don't you, you? you? I was. I was almost nervous. Like I was really standing there. And then you, of all people, come up behind me and kind of jerk me forward a little bit like I was going to fall off the ledge of this building. And I flinched like I was going to fall off the ledge of this building. Mm-hmm. It's so immersive and it's so fantastic. And I'm like, yeah... I kind there's of want a, this there's now a, for my There's house. a mild screen door effect to it um, that everybody kind of refers to with VR um, because you don't have a perfect 4K resolution on the screens that are inside the headset. Uh-huh. But still, um, your brain kind of fills that part in for you. Yeah. Especially in Batman Arkham VR and the sequences with Penguin and stuff like that when you're on that rooftop really push you over the edge a little bit mentally. Yeah. Like when you're up there, like you feel like you're. 20 stories up or 30 stories up and it, it messes with you but 
That's why I give you the little nudge and push <laughs> your back because I remember how I felt because I played that in a room by myself yeah. with nobody else in my home and I didn't have anything that was pulling me out of the experience. So when I looked over that edge, I thought I could fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you had background noise around you to kind of bring you back in, yeah. which is why I was like, you'll be okay if I push you. <laughs> and it's still, it's still, but it it still jarred me a little bit. But there's something special about being able to reach down to your waist and grab a, a grab and a grab batarang, a batarang yeah. and throw it, and it's kind and of it, a special. It, and experience. it's funny too because like even when I started playing it, like I was kind of being a little lenient about it, and then after a little while, I started really getting into it. Like I'm like I'm shifting levers and I'm I'm really getting into it, and it kind of like the whole outside world of everything that was in the room around me it disappeared, and I kind of really got immersive into it. Well, there's something special about when you're playing a video game and you when you say, somebody says, hey, uh, in a game, look behind you. It's like, hey, that person's right there. They're going to they're gonna shoot you. And you're like, where are they? And then you realize when you turn your head and the world moves with you. Yeah. It's a different experience. It is. It's and it's, cool. it's, it's really cool. But it, it, it's fun. And it's a little bit about it that's kind of terrifying, which kind of leads us into our recommendations when we talk about terror. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into these so we can get out of here and actually go to sleep. Yeah, we're um, an hour and 15 minutes in. <laughs> How long? An hour and 15 Hour and minutes. 50? Okay, so apologies for the longer episode, but we did have two premieres to talk we about. We did. And week, it's, so. a, again, our, our flash talk was pretty quiet. But yeah. Next week, it'll it'll kind of die down a little bit because we'll be into three new episodes and one premiere. One premiere. So, yeah. And then we'll be back into kind of an hour and a half long. Yep. Yeah, right around there. The norm. Uh, but yeah, let's get our recommendations out of the way. Um, I'll let you go first because I think mine, I have the same one as you, but I might have that you, additional one on top. Right. You're going to have, I know you're going to have one little caveat on top of on yes. top of the one. But um, I, again, not DC, DC or comic book related, but book related is... Um, I know I shared this with Ben. It's not even a question. Netflix had a new show launch last week, which was The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Classic book that was written in 1959, if memory serves correctly. Uh, there's a 1963 movie. There's also a movie from the 90s starring Liam Neeson called The Haunting. Yes. Um, that loosely, and again, very, very, loose, very loosely, very loosely brings up that movie. But um, that was Catherine Zeta-Jones, I think, as well, wasn't it? Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, Owen Wilson. Uh, yeah. A couple other people were in that. Uh, Paul Williams would know better than we would. He would. Uh, I don't know if Catherine Zeta-Jones was in that. I know Owen Wilson. And I know Liam Liam Neeson was in that film. Catherine Zeta-Jones may have been, um, but I forget who the lead actress was. She was a Caucasian female. That was the lead. But um, so Haunting of Hill House was a ten episode series, uh, a little over about an hour hour-long episodes. I think the final episode was an hour and ten. Hour and ten. And they kind of varied, I think, like, episode... They jumped timelines. It was Catherine Zeta-Jones. I was It was. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, but Haunting of Hill House, um, all I can say was, not only is this a masterclass of writing for both horror and drama, but it told, I think, easily, I think, out of all the Netflix originals, the absolute most perfect and beautifully told single stories I've ever seen them do. Uh, and that's somebody that thoroughly loved Jessica Jones and Stranger Things and mm-hmm. numerous other things they've done. Um, I think this was perfection. And I, I can't even stress that 
any more than that. I think this was one of the best things I've ever seen as far as television shows for a single pure story yeah. told on its own. And there is rumors that there is already plans for seasons two, but it's not going to be the same group of characters. I don't no. think whatsoever. Because I think this story that they told was a very specific and deliberate story, and it was done beautifully and perfectly and it was written in such a beautiful and gorgeous manner. Yeah. And it's a season I'm already watching my second run through already. And I'm probably going to be starting my second watch through um, soon. And the level of horror is not there, but the level of drama escalated the so le- much. The level of horror is, I mean, everybody assumes it to be something incredibly scary. And it's not. I mean, there are... Oh, def- there's moments. There are definitely some jump scare moments. And, and not even just jump scares, but just the level... Creepy. The escalation Yes. There's 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 a specific escalation moment with uh, the character Lucas when he's a small kid and a very tall ghost. Yes. Oh my um, god, that's that right. That lasts almost four or five minutes long. That you're just on the edge of your seat and you're just waiting for that to blow up in your face. Yeah. But the show does does horror in such a beautiful and deliberate and beautifully perfect way. And not only that, but the writing is brilliant in the fact that a lot of these moments that you're getting in the beginning of the season come back around again by the end of the season and they are something completely different than what they you mean, thought they They mean were. so much more. Yes. Um, you're right. I agree with you completely. The show it's, was completely so well done. I know I mentioned Paul. It, um, it, it's horror on the surface and drama all behind it. Yes. And I will say this without going into, going into spoilers um, at all. Uh, the ending was not what I expected, but in the best of ways. And it doesn't spoil anything, but the no. best thing I can tell every one of you is I am home. Yes. Oh, my God. Absolutely. And it, it's that ending actually almost had me in tears. Um, yeah. It was, it was so beautifully written. Yeah. Um, I know I know Paul Williams, who does What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. He even said... He um, loves it. Like he, it's, he, our good friend Paul even stated the same as I, and I actually echoed his statement when I even said it online. Um uh, on Facebook, if you follow me, or, like, you know, normally on Facebook, um, I 100% agree with our good friend Paul Williams, who runs What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, which is a horror show on Next Level that you definitely should be checking out, especially considering we're in October. But yeah. he he said it is his favorite thing he's ever seen done for a Netflix original. I 100% back up his statement. 100%. I'm, I'm pretty close to that. I'm, I'm going to judge that by my second viewing, but if it's not my top, it's in my top. I'm already three. at episode six on my second viewing, and I actually will say I 100% back that up. I just finished it last night, so um, I haven't started my second viewing yet. And I won't be starting I, it I adore <laughs> season one of Stranger Things and thought that was amazing. This by far blows it out of the water. Okay. Um, and I adore Stranger Things. I think that's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. But that stacks up there with things like Goonies and the Monster Squad. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like House on Haunted Hill. Um, Haunting of Hill House. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah. House on Haunted Hill, Hill something, yeah, completely something completely different. different. Yeah. Tay Diggs, you're welcome, sir. <laughs> um, but, and um, Allie Larder. And Allie Larder. Larder. And, and Jeffrey Rush. And we, you know, we just, uh, Famke Jansen. We could just go on was and it, on and on. Was and that Dax Shepard or? No, it's not. Uh, no, no Dex, that no was Dex um, Shepherd. Um, Shaggy. Um, no, no, that's that's Thirteen Ghosts. Oh, you're right, you're right. I, now I'm confusing. Movies. It's okay. But um, um, the haunting of Hill House though is something very special. Yeah. Um, and whether you love horror or even if you don't, I, I even if I, and I actually recommend even if you don't, 
it's worth getting through those jump scare moments for a really beautiful story. Our friend Bill um, is not a fan of horror at all, in the least. And when he started hearing about Haunting um, on Hill House, he was very much against it. And I kind of talked him into it tonight when I told him, like, look, it's really not as scary as people are making it out to be. Yes, there are some jump scares. There's a lot of moments of creepiness. But it's a very beautiful story told throughout that I really yeah. think you should check out. Uh, and I will tell everybody this now. There's a specific moment with a car <laughs> that I have never jumped so high. <laughs> My wife actually screamed out loud. <laughs> and I'm not lying. And even our good friend Paul, who said he has dealt through everything that horror could throw at him, said he jumped out of his seat watching it. See, I didn't. I didn't jump at it. But, but I'm sure you at least But flinched. that's not to say it was not one of those moments. Because I did. I flinched. I didn't jump. But the beautiful thing but is after that scene, me. though, that scene, my favorite character that show is a character by the name of Theodora. Mm-hmm. Theo. Right after that moment, though, she gives, I think, the scene that's going to give her an Emmy. Okay. All right. And I really do. I really think that that sequence that happens right after that moment that scared everybody shitless. <laughs> she You're, gave it a uh, the, she gave a performance that's going to give her an Emmy. Your wife posted a very in- intriguing question, and that was, "What is your favorite character from the show?" And you mentioned yours, and I don't know if it's possible well, for me to pick mine. Well, I, I I have three, and they're for different reasons. The father, who I didn't realize is the kid from ET. That's Elliot. When he plays the young version of the dad? Yeah. That's Elliot from E.T. I had no idea that's who that was, too. Or it's Theo or Luke. I like Luke. Uh, Luke is probably at the top of my list. One. Two. two. All right. We... Yeah. <laughs> All right. But it's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful And I, I, I echo that that recommendation as well. My other one, uh, my rec- my other re- recommendation on top of It's from Danny McBride, of all people. It's from Danny McBride, and I know uh, is not a shared opinion from our friend Paul over at What Marks Behind Podcast Zero. Oh, he uh, liked it. He did he not, as much, it. not as much as everybody else did. And he didn't like it as much as I did. Um, and that's the new Halloween. Uh, I was very stoked about this movie, and to me, uh, it did not disappoint. It's uh, a direct, for those who might not know, it's a direct sequel from the original. This is taking in account that all of the sequels did not exist. Which is weird because Halloween 2 takes place seconds, seconds I know. after episode, uh, the first movie. I know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the way they did it. And um, I actually think it was really well done. Uh, I loved the fact that um, it was a modern take on the story with a lot of nods to... The, uh, the nostalgia of the original, most particularly the soundtrack. Um, we get the well, John Carpenter did brand new music. Yep. yep. Uh, with, but a lot of the same music was incorporated into it, too. The opening sequence was very reminiscent to the original Halloween. Um, but um, one of my favorite things about this, and this is, I'll, I'll leave it with this, is that while the sequels have kind of, and I think I told you this at the same time, the sequels have kind of shifted Michael Myers into this supernatural, unkillable... The Curse of the Thorn stuff that they did by... by You know, another Freddy Krueger or or Jason Voorhees where, like, no matter what you did, he always... The riot shotguns in the end of uh, Halloween 4. Didn't matter. Behead him, burn him alive. Doesn't matter what he does. He comes back to life. This movie tones him down and turns him into something a lot scarier and that he is human. He feels pain. He bleeds. And to me, that is much scarier 
than these supernatural beings. Because these supernatural beings like Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, the Leprechaun, you can write them off. They don't exist. Michael Myers is a human being, which means this, forgive my language, this shit could really happen. Um, and one of that's the things, scary. Uh, one of the things that made me smile is uh, I saw a beautiful article that says things that you will absolutely miss in the new Halloween movie. Uh, which is the fact that there is a group of kids in that movie that are actually trick-or-treating, dressed in the costumes that are the enchanted costumes from Seasons of the Witch, Halloween 3. Okay, so that's the reference from Season of the Witch that's in the movie that I missed. There's a kid dressed as a witch, a ghost, and a pumpkin. Okay, all right, I missed it. Kudos to them. That's <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to get an opportunity to see this in the theater, but I am really looking forward to seeing it. Um... I, I'm a little worried and concerned as well, just because again, Halloween is my pinnacle of slasher films. Mm-hmm. I think it is it is it is the Jaws of slasher films. Okay, Jaws is I think in in horror mindset for me is my number one top film. Okay, nothing will ever top t- like you know touch it. But if it's a slasher film, it's always been Halloween. Um, so I hold them with a very close and near and dear piece of my heart. Halloween's one two. And 4 and 5 are movies I absolutely adore. I know a lot of people despise 4 and 5, but I, I absolutely adore the I despise that. 3 more than I despise 4 and 5. Well, I, mean, I wasn't crazy about Seasons again, of the Witch. Well, again, Seasons of the Witch is something that John Carpenter was pushing for, was to do anthology films. Yes. He did not ever want Michael Myers to be this character that went on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so, again, I, I totally understand people's kind of distaste for 3. Um, and it makes sense um, when you're kind of looking outside of the box. But um, if we're looking at the Michael Myers of it all, I really thoroughly enjoyed 1 and 2 and 4 or 5. Um, I enjoyed and, like H2O and, and, even, and some of the later And even ones. 6 and H2O and yeah. Halloween Resurrection with Busta Rhymes. In which Jamie Lee Curtis dies. Laurie yeah. Strode does die in, in the very, movie. very beginning yep. of that movie. Um, but, um, and even there's a small part of me, very, very small part that of me. That likes the Rob Zombie that versions. That likes the Rob Zombie versions of yeah. those movies. Um, again, it is the smallest part because again, I'm like, hey, the, the shape is back on screen, and I'm happy about this. Yeah, but um, I'm excited to eventually watch this movie whenever I can. It's worth it. I think anybody who's and, a fan of them should. should everybody did say, hey, this is the next evolution of this slasher film, and that makes me excited. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Danny McBride and the cast and crew of this movie bring to Halloween. So very, very incredibly excited to watch it. Yeah. All right, cheap plugs, and then we can get out of here and get some sleep. Uh, but yeah, you can catch me as on with this podcast as well as all other podcasts on the Next Level Podcast Network, nextlevelradioonline.com, uh, facebook.com slash nextlevelradioonline. Of course, other podcasts such as The Lost Podcast, we have to go back, as, as Robin mentioned. And of course, Paul uh, Paul Williams will plug his as well with uh, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. Then, of course, you can check out this podcast on Facebook if you don't already. Facebook.com slash DC Primetime. And you can always find me through the Kevin Crew cast of pods at nextlevelradioonline.com. And that means you should also be hearing a brand new episode. Uh, if uh, you haven't, you can send your hate mail to Ben. Because <laughs> it will it, already be posted by the time they're hearing this. So uh, our Halloween episode for 2018 is up. We actually talk about our favorite Halloween specials and movies that are uh, family-friendly. For horror. Uh, that one was a lot of fun, and I yeah. apologize for the Casper comments at the end. 
Yes, I do too. <laughs> you know what? That's it, why you shared my comments. It, it wouldn't be that bad if it wasn't for Jada for making us feel bad about what we were saying. Because yes. again, it was in jest, but then it got... It, it went made, weird. It went weird. <laughs> um, but still, uh, we actually give you a double MFK this this episode. Yeah, um, right. Which was uh, the Sanders and Sisters, a.k.a. Mary, Sarah, and uh, Winifred. Winifred from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> We also throw in the Great High Wizard, not from the KKK, everybody. <laughs> no, uh, but from, the, from Worst Witch. Yes. Uh, in addition to Casper and Gossamer. That's where uh, it got weird. And that's where it got weird because we didn't think things through. You know, like when we did the princesses from, like, you know, Disney way, way back. That was my bad. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it was a ton of fun to talk about these old classic things like the Garfield Christmas special. Not Christmas special, the Halloween special. Halloween special. I'm really the, tired. It's, it's the Great Pumpkin morning. Charlie Brown. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, but there was a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So make sure you give this a listen right before Halloween. Uh, and again, and give some great recommendations for Halloween films that you can watch with your family. Yeah. So please make sure to give that a listen and check that out. Our next episode that will be coming up in November will be Mel Brooks. Uh, we're going to be going back and looking at the best of Mel Brooks. I can't wait. Which is pretty much every movie he's done. Exactly. Let's be real. And 12 Angry Men. His 12 Angry Men. Was 12 Chairs. 12 Chairs. Yeah. Eh, it's okay. And yeah. I still love it. And life stinks. Well, actually, that's kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So. Um, and, of course, I want to make mention, too, I haven't had an opportunity to create them, but... Uh, hopefully shortly after you are hearing this, our Instagram and Twitter accounts will be live in which we'll be doing a bunch of fun stuff, uh, possibly live tweeting episodes, news stories, which will be posted as well on, on our Facebook page, as well as the Instagram and the Twitter pages. So uh, you'll get to see them soon. Yeah. Uh, and just a reminder, Extra Life is coming up in less than two weeks. So remember, go over to extra-life.org. Search in that little box of the upper right-hand corner for a player, Ben Beck, B-E-N space B-E-C-K. The moment that you click on his profile, remember, click on that. And when you make your donation, write Primer or Primers, DC Primetime, Podcast, whatever you want. Anything to let us know. Let us know that you're a listener. We'll make sure you get added into the raffle. If you want to be in the podcast, make sure that you write specifically podcasts. Yes. Um, because not everybody wants to get added into that drawing, and you get to host your own episode of DC Primetime sometime in the future. And with us. Yes, yeah. and we'll be your co-host, but yes. you're going to be the host with the most. <laughs> uh, so just a reminder to make sure you get that done, and a special thanks to our good friend George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com. We thank him each and every week for the work that he gives to us and the fine tunes you get to hear every week on our podcast. Yeah. A uh, full breakdown of how you can enter Extra Life and what you get exactly for your money can be found on the Facebook page. Again, facebook.com slash DC Primetime. It is the pinned post right at the top. Next week, we'll be talking about Arrow Season 7, Episode 2, Supergirl Season 4, Episode 2, The Flash Season 5, Episode 3, and, of course, the Legends of Tomorrow season premiere, which I know Rob and I are extremely excited for because... We just love Legends of Tomorrow. And so. if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure to check out that trailer that we posted. It's in our last couple <laughs> posts on the Facebook page. Uh, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. No, not at all. 
So, uh, but again, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much for being a listener. If you are new or if you are uh, have been with us for a while, it doesn't matter. Thank you for posting. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for being part of the Primetime family. Until next time, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace.